I am your host, Joshua Johnson. Just trying to figure out who exactly is going to be Denver's quarterback this next year. But, of course, as a Raiders fan, I'm not too concerned about it. Uh, with me, as always, is Nick Hale to the Redskins. Like, Nick, what's up, buddy? Oh, not much. Just trying to wrap my head around all these moves. Seems like every time I pick up my phone, i got 20 new notifications. It's been exciting for the first couple of days of free agency. How are you, Josh? Uh, yeah, didn't get a whole lot. Of work done today, but that's okay because the boss is out of town. So, uh, and he's not listening anyway. So, um, also joining us tonight, extremely excited to have senior staff writer here at DFW join us uh, all the way from New Hampshire. So we're spreading across the uh, n- not only the top fifty states or all the, 40, the lower forty-eight or whatever, but we're all the way from New Hampshire to Hawaii. And I'll try to stop doing stuff on the fly, but it's Luke Grilly. Sorry for that long, awkward introduction, Luke, but thank you so much for joining us. No worries. Thank you for finally having me. I'm happy we could finally uh, set it up. You know, I'm kind of like Nick here. I've been constantly checking my phone and just waiting for the Patriots to strike and pick up somebody that can help this offense. Uh, you know, in typical Bill Belichick fashion, he decided not to do anything day one, so hopefully day two of free agency will bring me some uh, some posi- some positional skill players. Uh, yeah, there was some Mohamed Sanu links. Which no. Got, 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 no. Got, no. No? God, no. <laughs> you, you don't think there's any way that he could produce what Brandon LaFell did two years ago there? Uh, you know, maybe. I mean, you know, with Tom Brady, he can turn, you know, poop into gold, so who knows. But it's just for the, for the type of money, you know, he's asking – yeah, you know, he's looking at seven million a year from Atlanta supposedly, and Marvin Jones just signed for, you know, five years, forty million, which is just asinine, considering the guy has done nothing more than having a, you know, he had a four touchdown game, and other than that, he's just been a mediocre player. Um, I just, I just really hope that they don't reach and overspend on just a, a, a marginal wide receiver. So, you know, could Sanu put up seventy thousand and six in the Patriots offense? Maybe, but I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet my life on it. Okay. Well, if I had to choose between the two, I would choose Sanu. But I'm just, I'm just a really, really big fan of his. I just think he's, he's been underused for a long time there in, uh, in Cincy. So, um, well, obviously, there's just a few moves to get to here. But, uh, uh, so I went to work this morning thinking that the uh, Alonzo-Maxwell deal to Miami was off because Maxwell was having some shoulder issues. And I had initially heard when that deal came through that the, they were swapping first-round picks, so 8-13. Eight, eight and 13. Get to work, and all of a sudden it's an official trade. Uh, Nick, any, any thoughts there? I mean, 
Miami. I don't feel like Miami had a whole lot of money, but they are just doing it, doing it up, aren't they? Is this too much? What do you yeah, think, Nick? they really are, and I think they got a good deal. I mean, Kiko Alonso, if he can come back healthy, he's been a really good player when he's been healthy. So, you know, just to move down a few slots in the draft, I think I think it was worth it. Yeah, I'm not sold on on uh, on Maxwell, but we'll see. Uh, you know, he was certainly in a different position, but I just feel like they took on a lot of a lot of money with those two, and they threw money at Mario Williams. Uh, we'll get to some more of that later. But uh, what what do you got for us? Are you getting ready to write uh, write an article about Demarco Murray to the Titans? What do you got? <laughs> you know, um, well, I just finished. Um, well, funny, it's gonna be a little dated now, but I kind of put my I put together three articles uh, projecting where running backs go, wideouts will go, um, quarterbacks and tight ends. I'm proud to say that I was right about Doug Martin resigning with the Bucks. Uh, I was right about Lamar Miller going to Houston. I was right about Marvin Jones going to Detroit. Um, but I totally missed on on even thinking DeMarco Murray would be traded. Um, you know, I think that's a good landing spot for him. However, if I'm the Titans, you know, I don't I don't trade any sort of capital for an aging DeMarco Murray who really has struggled um you know, ever since really the I guess in the playoffs in two thousand fourteen he kinda of was slowing down a little bit. Um and obviously last year was just an abomination. But um you know, I just think that they could have got a younger, probably cheaper option in Lamar Miller or Doug Martin. Uh, if they went that way, and they wouldn't have to give up any draft capital. So I'm still a little confused on why they do it. Um, but, you know, it, it can only be better than Antonio Andrews, David Cobb, and uh, <laughs> whatever that guy's name was that everybody loved from Washington, Bishop Sankey. You know, it's, uh, I, I think it's a nice move. It'll help Mariota. It'll take a little bit of pressure off of him. Um, it might help that young team grow, and especially if they draft uh, that, that left tackle first overall. I mean, it, it really can only help, and they can really only go up from there. You forgot about Dexter McCluster. Come on. Oh, my bad. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nick, Nick, any thoughts there? I mean, first and foremost, I think, like like Luke said, they're going to have to add to this offensive line. They already did that yesterday, stealing Ben Jones away from Houston, but uh, they're going to have to get some more bodies there. Tonto would be a great start. But any thoughts there on DeMarco to the Titans? Well, I believe they only swapped fourth-round picks in that trade. So, you know, it's not like they gave up a whole lot to get to Marco Murray. And, yeah, when you have a young quarterback like Marcus Mariota going into his second season, you have to have a solid running back, if for nothing else, for pass protection, you know. In the, uh, so I, I think it's a good good move to pick up a veteran there that's far more proven than any of the guys that they had behind him. So, yeah, just for such a small price, I know the contract's kind of big, but it, I think it was worth it. And I hadn't heard the pick. I thought it was a conditional thing, but I guess I guess fourth round is what you heard there, Nick. Yeah, the swapping fourth round picks is what I've heard. Okay. Okay. Well, there's obviously a, a thousand moves that happened today, but we'll we'll try to get to a lot of them, and I, we're going to talk about a lot of the players, excuse me, themselves individually as well here as we uh, as we move on move on with the show, but. Um, what anybody anybody have any thoughts, uh, uh, Luke? Why don't you go ahead again here? They still don't have a quarterback uh, for the Jets, but uh, they got they got a running back in Matt Forte. It seems like that could be a decent fit, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, again, speaking the opposite of Tennessee, they have a great offensive line. Uh, you know, the Jets have always been led by Mangold and Berkshaw Ferguson. So 
know, with those two guys, Chris Ivory had a career year last year. Um, my my one concern with with Matt Forte is I think a lot of people have been kind of overhyping him uh, and, and overhyping the signing. I've seen, you know, people on Twitter obviously instant re- knee jerk reactions are usually people look back on him and say I probably overreacted there, but uh, I'm seeing that you know that Forte is going to be a top five running back in fantasy next year and that he's going to be a game changer and you know he's really not a great running back. His strength of fantasy football is out of, as a receiver out of the backfield. And even last year without Mark Tressman, you know, he went from being a, a legit running RB1 to, you know, a borderline, a, a high-end RB2, low-end RB1. Um, and I just don't – very rarely do we see a free agent, especially a guy who's going to be turning 31, go from one system to another and immediately become this – you know, 20 to 25 point per game running back. So I think people need to pump the brakes a little bit. I think Forte will definitely play well. I think it was a great landing spot for him, but people do have to temper their expectations just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nick, any thoughts there? And and I think maybe does this conversely, like Luke said, with his uh, reception ability out of the backfield, does this hurt the value of a guy like, like Jason Morrow or or even like a Devin Smith who was looking to get the slot role there in New York? What do you think, Nick? Maybe a little bit. And, uh, you know, I agree that I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't place too much stock in Forte being a top five running back this year. Um, you know, I think he's a slight upgrade over Chris Ivory probably in the short term anyway, but obviously for dynasty owners that's only a short, short-term investment you'd be looking there. And I would uh, I would probably not pay the asking price for him right now, to be honest with you. I know I'm going to be defending him here in a little bit, but I, I, I would worry about the Jets possibly drafting another running back. They showed last year that it doesn't matter how much depth they have in a position, they're going to take the best player available like they did with Leonard Williams last year. So I, I wouldn't pay the asking price quite yet. Is Bilal Powell? I mean, he's he's still in the conversation. I know they haven't ruled out signing him. Oh, I mean, he's he's yeah. a pass catching back, so. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of a, a, a more of a, a thicker chested back too that could do some of that dirty work too, or maybe steal some touchdowns from, from Forte too. So you don't want to don't want to necessarily be risking your thirty year old running back on those on those early or, or excuse me a low fourth and one situations are short yardage goal lines type of thing. So that could certainly be a, be a factor there too. And they still got Zach Stacy. I think he's still, a, still laying yep. around there too. So I know Burgundy will appreciate that mention there. <laughs> um, um, geez, I'm sorry. My computer is failing me here. What, obviously the big, the big ones were, uh, Osweiler and, uh, and Miller there, Nick. What 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 do you think is just make the Texans scary? Um, it, it's an upgrade for sure, especially with Lamar Miller. Uh, you know, Arian Foster was great when he was healthy, which was like three games a year for the last couple seasons. It seemed like. So I think Lamar Miller is a clear upgrade there, and obviously they've been searching a quarterback for their entire existence as a franchise since uh, uh, Carr didn't work out for him, but. I don't really think Osweiler is an $18 million a year quarterback. I kind of think that Denver did the right thing in letting him walk, honestly, even if they don't have a player replacement for him. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned uh, David Carr there. They they just seem to have this reluctance to even draft a quarterback nowadays. Just, it's certainly high, 
and so again, they're they're still on that same same route by trying to make to make somebody else work. You know, we've heard so much about what Bill O'Brien can do with quarterbacks and how he can develop them, and and maybe they already see a guy that's you know somewhat of a, a not you know not not a finished product by any means, but as as I always like to say, uh, uh, has enough experience to be dangerous. You know, it's certainly if the tweaked the right way. So maybe that's their line of thinking here. Um, I still don't wouldn't rule them out drafting the quarterback because if you look at the quarterback depth chart, it's pretty, it's pretty pretty bleak. And uh, they they were one of one of a couple teams that started, I think, at least three or four quarterbacks last year. So uh, yeah, they certainly have some some issues there. Luke, Luke, what are your thoughts there on Miller and Osweiler? Well, I, you know, I love the Miller signing. I think that uh, Lamar Miller is, was the most unutilized back last year. Um, I think in my latest rankings, I probably have him five. Running back, and um, that was before I knew where he was going. I just think he's a talent, and he can, you know, like I said, was woefully underutilized in, in Miami, and that's why Philbin and company were were, were canned. Um, I think he's going to instantly be an impact uh, impact player for that team, and uh, you know, I think that he was a great uh, replacement for Arian Foster because he can catch the ball, he can run between the tackles, I and mean, he won't run over you like Arian could. But he he is a, a you know a light version of Arian Foster I think um, with Osweiler you know what I do like about the contract I read some numbers that came out regarding it, it looks like most of the guaranteed money is in the first two years so it's, it's more of a team friendly deal where if if it really doesn't work out they probably won't be on the hook for years three and four um, but like what, what I like about that deal is is they're taking a shot on a guy who is you know he hasn't really had a chance to prove himself. Um, he probably was playing a little gun-shy, a little timid, because all he heard last season was when Peyton Manning comes back, he's the starter. Or, you know, if Osweiler struggles, will they bring Peyton Manning back? Um, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I was not impressed by Brock Osweiler whatsoever. I think that uh, Peyton Manning was a far better quarterback solely because of his mind and his ability to read the defenses and be able to call out audibles or check down, check out of a pass play into a run play. Um but I, I think that, you know, Brock Osweiler might be able to um, blossom under Bill O'Brien. We've seen Bill O'Brien work wonders, and he turned Brian Hoyer into a legitimate quarterback for a little bit. Um, he turned Christian Hackenberg into a decent quarterback at Penn State when he struggled. So um, I think that if anybody's going to help help make Osweiler take the next step, it could be Bill O'Brien. And, again, you know, the, the Texans, I don't think, are going to be on the hook long-term for this deal. So they they could be in good shape and get out of the contract if it's just, it just ends up being a massive bust. But in the end, it, it also says a lot that, that Denver wasn't willing to re-sign him and go up a few million dollars a year. That might say something about his character. Uh, they obviously know a lot more about Brock Osweiler than Houston does or than any other team does in the NFL. So um, it's pretty interesting that Elway was willing to just say, all right, see you later, and uh, we'll, we'll figure it out on the fly. Yeah, very good points there, and I and I am wondering too, you know, about that same type of thing with with Lamar Miller. But we'll get to get to that more in a second as I poke and pry to Nick here. Um, with the with the um, Osweiler thing, I mean, think of 
what he is going from and what he's going to. And I, I try to set it up for you guys to talk about my favorite player in the world, DeAndre Hopkins, but nobody even went there. But this guy went from Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders to DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, you can't tell me you guys like Johnny Manziel, Robert Griffin. I mean, hell, even Blake Bortles would probably take that over what he started with. You know, I mean, I what he certainly has a great in a great position to uh, to to succeed. So I mean, I will be surprised if he's a complete failure just because I, I like the weapons around him, and uh, I think. I think if he's like I said, tweaked in the right way, I think he could. I think he could be be a decent guy. And it is kind of weird how I was thinking about this today is when that when I heard the money on his contract. You know, last year at this time he was he was just, oh it was Brock Osweiler, Peyton Manning's backup, and you know oh maybe someday maybe someday he'll get a chance. And uh, here we are. That's just <laughs> just how the cookie crumbles here, and just less than one year's time in the NFL. Um, like I said, we have a lot of the guys that we're going to get to uh, a little bit later on here. But White, um, Luke, and I'm and I'm really just trying to figure this out. But uh, it, we have a, a couple home leagues here: DFW 36, which is in the crazy 45 man IDP league, and then we have DFW 48, um, and the the numbers is the is specific to the teams that are in those leagues. Uh, 36, there is three copies of each player. And 48, there is four copies of each player. So, you know, more, more or less, you know, the first four picks this year will probably be the all four copies of Ezekiel Elliott. Um, but what what you have been in this league now for three years, Luke, and I'm just just joined to took over an orphan team, a very bad orphan team. What what have you learned? What has DFW 48 taught you about Dynasty, just being in this, this kind of crazy 48-team format? Yeah, well, I, I was um, involved in the Dynasty League um, probably about two or three years before I joined DFW 48, so I had a basic idea of how Dynasty Leagues worked, how players are valued, so that helped going into it. And, um, you know, I also was part of a, um, what was it called, a, there was, I think, four or five orphan teams. We had our own little draft based on all the leftover players. So uh, that was pretty interesting to, to do. Was like the, one of those um, expansion drafts. Um, but you know, in regards to what did it teach me or what has it taught me, you know, you never know how a guy values a player or draft picks, or you know, what point of the season do players or draft picks have the most value? And, and I've learned. You know, as you get close to the draft, first-round picks are gold. Uh, as you get away from the draft, first-round picks lose a lot of value, um, especially with four different copies of each player, so there's four different owners. One guy might love a trade. One guy might hate, might hate a trade. They might value the player totally differently. So I've used that to my advantage in a few, in a few trades. Um, obviously, guys like, you know, the tall girls, Amari Coopers, those guys, everybody's going to value them the same. They're studs, and and it's, it takes a you know to ransom to get a, to get them a prime away from somebody else's roster. Um, but I, I think that the main thing I've learned is is how to deal with different types of owners who have different values on different picks or different picks or players. Like for example, you know our our good friend Jay Myers hates rookie picks. He wants a solid. He wants a proven veteran. I'm kind of in the same boat. You know Ezekiel Elliott sounds great. The name sounds awesome. We've seen him do well at Ohio State. But what's he going to do in the pros? So if I can get a stud player that I know will produce, like a, a Le'Veon Bell 
or a DeAndre Hopkins for the first overall pick, you better believe I'm going to pull that trigger and pull the trigger on the trade and get that proven player over the the unheralded rookie or the unheard of, the untested rookie, I should say. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a very good point, and you know, it certainly depends on your team situation there too. If you're if you're rebuilding or, or really wanting to win now, and uh, it just it depends on the situation there. But I, and I hear you, and that's something that's something that just being here a year that I've learned so much about from with with Dan and Jay. And if you can trade off those picks, I mean, you know, there's some teams in this league holding like 12 to 15 picks. I'm thinking this offensive rookie class is not that good. <laughs> I don't right. even consider bringing in more than, you know, five or six of those guys. And we, we, you only have four rounds in this rookie draft. And it's also, you can also draft veterans too, if they're available. But uh, yeah, it's, it is funny how different people, uh, value others, and that, that you know certainly certain leads to some controversy sometime. But uh, what about the trades? I mean, it's is it mandatory? I mean, it's just like every day there's like four or five. I mean, Saturday I think alone there was probably twenty, and it's like the same people trading back and forth. I mean, I don't I don't even know how to keep up. What, what, yeah, you, it, you it, just it's crazy. For a while, I have I have my. Uh, trade notifications turned off my email because there are so many. But, um, you know, it, it's a lot right now, a lot of guys are posturing for picks. A lot of guys are trading two-thirds to move into the second or something like that. Or, again, you know, people are getting rookie fever, so they're trading 27, 2017 picks for uh, 2016 picks. And I just got a notification the Titans signed Rashard Matthews, which makes me mad because I want the Patriots to get him. But that's the <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll, we'll get to that later, but anyways, um, you know, so yeah, a lot of posturing going on right now, um, and it's, a lot of guys are, you know, trading players and picks to move up in in that draft, and it, it, it it's an interesting time of the year for sure. And I think also too, it's, it's guys are bored and they just want to make moves. <laughs> they they might look at trades now that they they made. They might look at him in October and be like, "Oh crap! Why did I move? Why did I make that deal?" But that sucks. <laughs> um, you know, it's 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 it is an interesting league, and there's there's a lot going on. And you can kind of you know you can look at it two different ways. There's some guys who make five trades a week, and then there's other guys who just stand pat with their roster and roll with it. So again, just goes into the different strategies. What do you want to do? Do you want to be a guy that's going to be constantly trading, or do you do you trust your process and do you trust the team that you're building? So. Uh, but with it being 48 owners, you can you can find the guy that you want to deal with, or you can choose to to stand pat. So that's what makes it really cool. And that's kind of one thing I've I've noticed. I feel like in DFW 36, I've been in that league for just one year. I feel like if there's anybody that I really want, I I can get them. I mean, just because there is the three copies. I don't feel that same way about DFW 48 so far. It's just, it's, it's like you said, it's, it's weird kind of posturing. Um, Nick, any questions there about DFW 48 for Luke? Oh, just wondering in a league that big, if you, there's uh, strategies that most people adhere to in dynasty formats, say, you know, like it's smart to build around you know, young receivers, uh, young receiving core. If strategies like that tend to extrapolate into the bigger leagues like that, since there are four copies of every player, or if certain uh, certain normal dynasty strategies need to be tweaked a little bit. Um, you know, it, it it basically turns into four twelve team leagues in a sense. But 
Um, but then again, you, you know, you could have, if you have Amari Cooper, you could go against Amari Cooper. So it's it's kind of weird. Sometimes it's, it's a crapshoot. You know, you don't know if you're going to be, you know, if you make a trade for a guy and you're really excited about it, like, oh, great, I got Amari Cooper. Guy's a stud. Next week, you know, you might have to play against him two, three times a year. So that that makes it kind of kind of different. Um, but I think that the way I've approached it is, you know, I'm trying to get as many stud wide receivers as possible because I believe in wide receivers more than running backs. And, you know, they have a longer shelf life. And um, it's also it's, it's a point per reception for both running backs and receivers, but it's, it's a point per 10 yards receiving, which I think gives the wide receivers have uh, – give the wide receivers a little bit more value in that format. So, um, you know, you can kind of take your standard dynasty – <laughs> excuse me, your standard dynasty um, ideals and, and your strategies and use those in this league where it really, you know, it, it should work to your benefit if you if you continue down that road of just just stockpiling those young studs, and which is obviously a good strategy in almost any league. Yeah, most definitely. Um, any Any advice you care to give me? I know. I mean, I know we're competitors. <laughs> Three million best but... players. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I think I think staying active on the waiver wire, staying active yeah. um, in in trade markets, always looking at you know every people update their trade bait multiple times per day, and and if you see a player that that you like, uh, jump on it because there's you know 44 other teams that don't have that player that might be interested in that player. So mm. if somebody offers up Todd Gurley and you really want him and you have the assets to go get him, you know, make that offer right away. Um, sometimes it helps to send emails to, to the owners, but what I've found is, is just make an offer and, you know, say, hey, that's so what I'm looking for. How do you feel about this? And sometimes they say, yeah, that's great. Let's work with this. Or sometimes they just, they say, no, nah, I'm good, and they don't even counteroffer. So uh, that can be frustrating. But, you know, again, with, with 48 different people, you have 48 different strategies pretty much. So um, I would just say continue to continue to work the waiver wire, continue to make inquiries on trades if there's a player that you really want. Um, it, it's really focus on building with your young receivers because those are the guys that are going to score the most points. Um, obviously, PPR, so there's there's – the Brandon Cooks of the world, the you know, Demarius Thomas when he's finding the end zone is a great player. Uh, Antonio Brown is a stud in this league. Uh, if you can get your hands on one of those guys, great. But they are they are tough to get get your hands on. And we're looking. Um, you, the waiver wire on this is um, excuse me the uh, the dollars right you you bid. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, so and one thing I've learned last year from DSW thirty six is you just need to go for it. You just have to really spend money on the waiver wire because if you end up, you know, with three, four hundred dollars at the end of the year, it's no good for nothing. So if you really want somebody, you have to you have to really. I mean, if you feel like you're overspending, that's probably okay because you still need you still need to do it. You just need to you need to spend that money because it's not going to carry over by any means. So. Yeah, and in the end, it, in the end, it is a twelve-person league. If you think about it, it's three twelve-person leagues in the thirty-six, and it's four twelve-person leagues in the forty-eight. So, um, 
if you strike out on that guy on the waiver wire, you're going to be able to find somebody who is capable of starting for you. So um, definitely, definitely take chances and, and try to spend some money on those guys that you want. But know that there's a backup plan. And, and also, too, I mean, during since since different guys value different players, you know, one of the guys that you're bidding on could get dropped in that same in that same uh, waiver period. So you never know with with 35 other owners for 47 other owners. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, let's talk about some of the trades here. Um, I actually narrowed it down to four, but like I said, there's just there's some days where there's just like 12 or 15. It's it's ridiculous. But I tried to find the really good ones here. So uh, Martavius Bryant. And the 2017 first for Jeff Janis in pick 1.04. So essentially, the uh, last copy of Ezekiel Elliott. Nick, what do you think about that? Um, assuming the person who traded away Martavis Bryant is fairly deep at receiver, I think that's a, a pretty good trade. You know, you're picking up Ezekiel Elliott, who is probably easily the safest running back in this year's draft class. So if you need a running back and you're already deep at receiver, you know. Obviously, uh, if you're going for a running back, you're probably trying to win this year, so you're hoping that 2017 first-round pick is lower in the first round. So I like the trade. What, what are your thoughts there, Luke? Um, I, I probably would have taken the Martavis Bryant side and, again, mentioned that I value the, the proven player over the rookie draft pick. Um, Martavis Bryant was a beast last year when he wasn't suspended. So I obviously know, you know I have to take that into consideration that he's one strike away from probably being out for a season. But uh, I'm willing to, to bet that Bryant, uh, you know, kind of turned it around and got his life together. Um, if Bryant's healthy and on the field all se- all year, I think that he's easily a top ten wide receiver. And again, I do value wide receivers a little bit more than running backs. And Eagle Elliott came from Ohio State and. We haven't seen a great Ohio State running back in a while, so um, you never know with those guys coming out of college. Give me the proof of play over Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, what what do you guys think about uh, you going first here, Luke? What do you think about Jeff Janis? I mean, they still have Ty Montgomery, Devontae Adams is still there, Jordy's coming back. It's kind of a kind of a crowd there. I know he seemed to have a connection with A Rod during the uh, playoffs last year, but he's certain to get. You know, five or six looks every game, don't you think? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not full on Jeff Janis. I'm definitely not buying him right now either because his price is pretty high right now. It's probably a late first, or early second round lucky pick, and I'm just not buying that. Like you said, at best he's a third option, but I think really he's the fourth or fifth option. I think that after Jordy and Randall Cobb, there's just a lot of question marks. It's just a, a, a bunched up group including Richard Rodgers, too. So um, I'm not I'm not too sold on Jeff Janis. I think in this deal, if I got him, I would instantly try to flip him because I think that his – I think his value is at an all-time high right now. Yeah, yeah. Since he's kind of where uh, Devontae was last year at this time. People were all over him, and then, of course, Jordy got hurt, and it was just ridiculous. Yeah, but, and I could have uh, traded him for an early first-round pick in one of my leagues, and I'm kicking myself for not doing that. <laughs> God, uh, Adam was tough to watch last year. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. Nick, Nick, what do you think about Janice? 
Yeah, I agree. He's, you know, maybe if you have him, he's worth holding on to, of course, but I I wouldn't be paying the asking price for him right now. Uh, just the fact that he wasn't able to beat out Devontae Adams last year, that, that that's a big red flag for me, as bad as Adams played. Okay, Luke, we'll start here again with you. Uh, Jimmy Graham for uh, 4.08, 4.21, and a 2017 second. Yeah, so that's thought that was an interesting deal. Obviously, Jimmy Graham really struggled in Seattle before he got hurt. The injury he, he suffered, the torn patella tendon, can be devastating. Um, still, I'm, I'm probably going to lean the way of Jimmy Graham and, and sit on him. You know, a 2017 second, that's so far out. And, you know, I'd probably value that as, like, you know, a 2016 third, um, just because it is so far out. And then when the draft picks are a year later, they just, I think, lose value. I'm just, I'm going to take the the chance that Jimmy Graham can be a stud. It's not like you really gave up much to get him, so I thought that was a great deal for the guy who got Jimmy Graham. If it doesn't work out, whatever, he lost 2017 second and two fourth-round picks, and the fourth-rounders very rarely make the final roster, so um, I mean, I think with my fourth-round pick last year, I got Jimmy Garoppolo, which, which wasn't a bad pick, but you know, it's not like he's an impact player or will be an impact player anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, good, good point there. Nick, what are your thoughts? Uh, I agree with Luke. Uh, he brought up the point the fourth-rounders rarely make the roster, and that's in a normal season. We all uh, pretty much agree that this year's rookie crop is not the deepest of uh, classes, so definitely those fourth-round picks don't matter for much. And, yeah, so second-round pick for Jimmy Graham and the chance that he might return to form, I, I'd take that anytime. I've had a number of people ask for my 2017 first, and I I, I still got Leonard Fournette fever, man. I I can't I can't I can't deny it. I think he's a I think he's a game changer. I know it might take a year or two for him to be so in the NFL, but I, I I'm not getting rid of that. I, I'm I would rather trade back to the 17th and then 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 take Ezekiel Elliott this year. That's just that's just my thoughts. But yeah, good good value there for Jimmy Graham. I think. You'd like to think at least a year around that team and a year, you know, with that offense, he would hopefully come back stronger, obviously, depending on how that patella uh, recovers, but uh, hopefully he can come back stronger. And uh, Russell Wilson certainly proved that he could get the ball down the field a little bit last year. So uh, I'll be looking to replace uh, some of that stuff that Kirsch did down the field, and I'm thinking Lockett's going to be the, the, the guy down the field, which means there should be some room for uh, Graham to do some stuff over the middle and hopefully do that do that red zone stuff too uh brandon cooks and i'll start with nick here brandon cooks and two and 2.24 for 1.03 and 3.17 there nick what do you think uh, I think it's a very even trade. Uh, again, 1.03, that's going to be easy in all likelihood. But I really like Brandon Cooks, too. But I just think that, you know, trying, finding a true workhorse running back is harder than finding a receiver. So just for that reason alone, I will side with the person picking up 1.03 and 3.17. But it is pretty even both sides. And all, and all these picks, I don't know if I said that for sure, but they're all all are from DFW48 there. So uh, thoughts there, Luke? Yeah, I thought it was a really close trade. I'm actually going back and forth on it. Um, you know, Cooks is one of those guys who I think in the end he's really a high-end WR2, whereas, you know, before when we were talking about the, the, the trade for Martinez Bryant, 
and 104, I think that Martavius Bryant, Bryant is a wide receiver one, so or at least has the potential to be be such. Um, you know, Brandon Cooks, he's a PPR guy. He's a quick, shifty guy who's going to get you six, seven catches a game and find the end zone. And he finally he looks seems like he caught his rhythm towards the end of last season. But with that being said, you know, I think I might lean towards a rookie pick this time around. Uh, Nick says it is great to find that workhorse back. And maybe if we see a uh, 100-catch season from Brandon Cooks this year, I'll change my mind on that. But, uh, you know, until we see that, if we keep on seeing, you know, mid-70s, low-80 catch seasons for 1,100, 1,200 yards and a couple touchdowns, I'd rather take the, the chance on Ezekiel Elliott. Well, a trade just crossed through my email from DFW48. Imagine that. Uh, actually, a couple of them. But, uh, and this one was uh, Shamrock. This was Jeff Melbested, one of the guys here on staff. Oh, and they just got a proposal. Um so you know it's serious. Jeff doesn't trade a whole lot. Um, but uh, he traded Bashard Perryman for a first and a second round pick um, 2017. And uh, Any thoughts there, Nick? I mean, we still have no idea what Perryman's going to be at the NFL level, but that seems to be pretty good value, don't you think? Uh, definitely. You know, even though the picks aren't until 2017, uh, you know, Trading away a guy who hasn't played a snap in the NFL for a first and a second round pick, it doesn't matter what year it is. I think that's pretty good value, especially since he wasn't he wasn't a top four pick last year. It's not like Todd Gurley sat out the season and you're trading for a talent like that. Rashad uh, Perriman, he he could be good, but he's not to the Todd Gurley's level. Okay, Luke, any thoughts there? I agree with Nick 100. percent Perriman's one of those guys who was a first round pick last year. And now you're getting a first and a second. And, you know, how often does a guy miss a whole rookie season and come back and be a productive player? You know, a lot of times just that trial by fire being on the field as a, as a rookie is sometimes the best thing to help a player grow. And a lot of times they can't come back from it. So uh, you got a first and a second for an unproven commodity. I, I like it. It was – I'm sorry. The second was 2017 and the first was this year. It was two point or 1.29, so a little bit later in the first, but still still a pretty, fairly decent pick, you know, a guy. And that's, that's, and that's kind of where Perryman was going last year, too. So you got yeah. Perryman's draft stock, draft status last year plus a second-round pick next year. That's not bad. Yeah, Devontae Parker was probably in that same range there yep. uh, last year. So uh, uh, my how this one has changed after, <laughs> after some news uh, – that happened yesterday, but T.J. Yeldon, we'll start with you, Luke. T.J. Yeldon, 4.08, 4.21 for Brian Quick. He's obviously a throwaway. And a 2017 first. Now, I know I'm pretty sure this was Dwayne Brown, and I didn't get approval to say his name, but I just did anyway. But he was selling <laughs> Yeldon hard, and I'm just like, what is his deal? He knew something. He knows he knew something was up there, and he's obviously a quality fantasy guy. Otherwise, I wouldn't mention him. Uh, but uh, yeah, so it's fairly decent deal. I mean, he got a, he got a first back for Yelvin. It, it seemed like he maybe could have got more, and I he he put a note out that there he was asking for more, and so I was a little surprised. But maybe he, like I said, maybe he knew more than we think. What do you think, there, Luke? So two fourths and Yelvin for quick and a first. Yeah, I actually was in negotiations with him to, to grab Yeldon. And he wanted Cobb and something, I think Cobb in a first or Cobb in a second. I forget what it was exactly. I just thought that was too much. 
or maybe he was offering me Yeldon in the second for Kawhi. I, I forget, but in the end, I thought it was a little bit too much. Um, I I thought at the time that was a good trade for for Yeldon, the guy who got Yeldon, to be honest. Uh, I, I still kind of do. I, I still think that Yeldon's going to be a quality player. I don't believe in Chris Ivory staying healthy. I just, I just don't. We've seen this, we've seen the story play out too many times. He's 28 years old. We're going to give him a lot of money. We gave him a six, uh, what five-year contract, thirty million dollars. I'm not sure what the guarantee money is, but I'm still baffled they they made that signing. But then again, that's the Jags. So what do you expect? Um, but I, I like the Elton side here. I think that you know the 4.08 and the 4.2 one are throwaways, and so it's quick. So you're looking at T.J. Yeldon for a 2017 first, and considering what he was going for last year, I think he's by the fifth fifth pick in the rookie draft, give or take. The fact that Dwayne only got a 2017 first before the news broke about uh about the Ivory signing, I think the Yeldon side wins this one hands down. Yeah, I was uh, somebody snatched Yeldon in DFW 36. Um, can't remember the pick, but it was like. All the copies of Gurley were gone. All the copies of Gordon were gone. All the copies of Cooper were gone. There's one copy of Kevin White left, and I thought I was going to have to, choose, you know, take Kevin Coleman. And then that person who picked in front of me took the first copy of Yeldon, and I ended up getting Kevin White, and I was thrilled to death. And I was so excited I took him in another league, and then I took Perryman after that, and, but that was, and now I have the second overall pick in that league. But. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, I, I, I and I'm not a huge Yellen fan by any means, but I do think, and this is kind of the old adage, the modern the modern day fantasy crutch known as Brandon Jacobs versus Chiki Barber. I think we could be in that same type of situation where we see Ivory be that touchdown vulture because I mean the, the Jacksonville. I mean I want to say they're not stupid, but they did you know throw a bunch of money at Toby Gearhart. Uh, but I think they'll do what they can to keep this older back healthy, kind of the same thing with the Jets there and Forte there. So I I, I think Yeldon certainly has a lot of value there, but I just don't see he's ever ever going to step into that elite back range there in the top ten. So I, I'm I, that being said, I guess I guess I like him over Brian Quick, but uh, if that 2017 pick's going to let me net me Leonard Fournette or even Christian McCaffrey, I'd probably I'd probably probably side with that uh, situation there. Nick, what do you think? Yeah, before the Chris Ivory signing, I would have sided with the uh, with the person who picked up T.J. Yeldon. But now that Ivory is in the fold there, and we know this Jaguars offense moves through the passing game, now they're, now he's got to split carries after, you know, he had a decent season as a rookie, but that was his being the feature back. So splitting carries now, I, I think he loses a lot of value there. So being able to pick up a 2017 first-round pick, I think that's a good deal. And I, I think, too, I think, I remember Dwayne tweeting about it, pretty sure that it is supposed to be an early first-round pick uh, as long as things don't go according to plan. So, you know, you're right. In that in that case, you can get McCaffrey or Fortunet. I didn't think of that. Um, and that, yeah, I, I would prefer the 2017 first. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier, Luke, and I just thought of this as we were talking here that uh, maybe Belichick's a little more active that second day of free agency. Seems like all those top tier backs are gone. What do you think about Alfred Morris going to New England? You know, he's one of those bruising backs that 
seems to be a, a pretty good fit, a pretty good locker room guy. You know, the, the stories came out that he was really uh, became good friends with the stadium workers in Washington, and everybody loved him. And he's a very humble, down to earth guy. I, I'd love to have him on the team for that purpose, but for for football purposes, um, I don't know. He's kind of He's really regressed the past ever since his rookie year. He's just been a pretty mediocre back. Uh, last year he was bad, and the year before he was just so-so. Um, he'd have a lot less pressure on him. Uh, he'd probably feel a lot softer defensive fronts if he was in New England. And he's the kind of guy they could use. They can use a bruising back who can get the tough yards up the middle and hold up the ball, can get the first down on fourth and one or third and short, or he can get the goal line touchdown. But, um, you know, I, I wouldn't hate it. I, I think I'd rather see a more dynamic back like Arian Foster, to be honest. Uh, I know he's hurt, but I think that if he's given a, a fairly low workload, he can be very effective on the, on the Patriots team. Uh, I just I just really don't know how much more Alfred Morris is left to think. I don't know. I think I'd take Morris over Foster. But you bring up a good point with them, them spreading the field out, I think. One thing that gets lost with Morris is, yeah, he's been less and less productive, but he's also, you know, had some different coaching changes and a quarterback controversy going on there the whole time. I mean, he should have won Rookie of the Year over RG3 as far as I'm concerned. But uh, uh, I, think, I, think, I think it could work there. Um, we have our first Dynasty dilemma getting to. This is shaping up to be a very long podcast, but I'm totally okay with that. Um, Luke, I hope you're still okay to hang around. You got to oh, yeah. you got you to do battle with my guy Nick as we pit Matt Forte versus Jamal Charles. We let Luke, the guest, choose first. I'm going to play a little clip, and Luke will start us with Jamal Charles, and then Nick will Nick will hit you back with his Forte rant, and then uh, you'll have a chance to rebut there, Luke. So let's let's do this. What do you got for us on Jamal Charles there, Luke? All right. So, you know, looking at Jamal Charles and Matt Forte, like I kind of alluded to earlier, I really think Matt Forte is, is declining a little bit and is not in the ideal situation that he was uh, when he had Mark Tressman as a coach. We've seen him kind of uh, – his receiving numbers dropped, his rushing numbers have dropped, and he did miss some time last year. Obviously, the, the big elephant in the room is Jamal Charles himself. He tore his ACL – uh, he missed most of last season, and he is 29, turning 30 this year. Um, still, you know, we've seen Jamal Charles come back from a torn ACL. Granted, it was a few years prior, so he was a little bit younger, a little bit faster to recover. But I've always, always had that feeling that Jamal Charles is that guy who's going to give the extra effort, really work on his rehab, and I think he'll come back, you know, as effective as he was before he got hurt. Uh, before he got hurt, you know, he, he still had a 1,000-yard season on, on 200 carries, so he averaged about five yards a carry, um, found the end zone 14 times, and was really well utilized in, in Andy Reid's system. Andy Reid knows how to get his running backs to score points. We saw Charkandic West um, he score a ton of points last year for, for fantasy teams. And, um, and uh, Cyrus, Cyrus Gray, was that his name? I can't think of the other uh, Spencer Spencer Ware. I'm sorry, Spencer Ware. So Spencer Ware and Tricandric West, who are just nobodies, came back and had pretty good RB2 seasons for fantasy owners. So 
you know, again, a lot of this hinges on whether or not Jamal Charles can come back 100% healthy, and and I think he can. I, I think he'll come back. He might might be a little rusty the first few weeks of the season, but towards the end of the season, we're going to see him fit right back into that mold of that PPR running back one who should finish with, you know, right around 1,500 yards from scrimmage, find the end zone at least 10 times, probably get you 40 to 50 catches, um, and be the centerpiece around that offense. It's an offense run by Alex Smith, so a lot of checkdowns, a lot of intermediate routes, uh, a lot of rushing attempts. Um, so I'm I'm on board with, with Jamal Charles next year as an RB1. I think it's going to take him a little bit of time, but uh, he should be pretty solid. He's a year younger than Matt Forte. He's going to probably be a bigger centerpiece of the offense than, than Matt Forte will be. Um, and uh, I like Jamal Charles to, to be a solid running back for at least the next two, maybe three years. Okay, Nick, what do you got for us, Mr. Forte? Well, of course, when we're talking about seasoned running backs, the first thing we're going to look at is their age. Jamal Charles is younger, but it's only by one year. And given Jamal Charles's two major injuries, the second of which he's still recovering from, uh, I, you know, I think Forte comes out on top as far as, as far as the body's wear and tear is concerned. Forte did miss three games last year, but before that, he only missed five games over seven seasons. He's been very durable over the years. Now, Forte was a hair under 900 rushing yards last year, but he did still average over four yards per carry. And even though his naysayers may point out that he had less catches last year than any other season, he did still have 44 receptions. He's always been a great receiving option. So even if he doesn't find the starting role in New York, say if they were to draft Ezekiel Elliott or something crazy like that, uh, Forte could end up in a Danny Woodhead type of role. So he's got a very high floor, I think, because of his receiving ability. But you know what? He's, uh, if he is a third down back, I, I think he would still be uh, it'd be pretty pretty uh, pretty good contributor as far as like a flex type of player. Um, now, Jamal Charles is in a situation where not only does he have to return from an injury, but once he's healthy enough to play, he's going to have to prove that he's more effective than the younger and far cheaper Sharkandrick West and Spencer Werewer, both of whom looked very capable when given opportunities last season. And I know Jamal Charles is a very capable receiver out of the backfield, but remember, I said Matt Forte's career low in receptions was 44. Jamal Charles has only topped that twice in his eight seasons, and one of those years he only topped it by one. He had 45 catches. So, yeah, you know, I don't really love either guy, to be honest with you. But today I'm taking Matt Forte because I do think, you know, I don't think they're going to draft a running back. I think he'll be the lead back there for at least one or two seasons, whereas I'm not convinced that Jamal Charles will have the lion's share of the carries in Kansas City. Okay there, Luke, can you rebut? Well, I think that, I, you know, you're right. Um, Jamal Charles has not been one of those running backs who will catch 60, 70 balls a season. Uh, his career high was back in 2013. It was probably one of the better seasons where he had seven catches, um, just over 700 yards and found the end zone seven times through the air, 12 times um, rushing. Now, what what I really like about Jamal Charles and what I like about him more than Matt Forte is, and I lose this earlier in the podcast, is Jamal Charles is a better running back, I think, than Matt Forte. Jamal Charles Again, when healthy, and I think he'll come back from this injury, when healthy, Jamal Charles, just, he's, he's a superior running back. I mean, he's, he's topped out at 1,500 yards uh, back in 2012, rushing. In 2010, he had 1,467 yards rushing, and both those topped Matt Forte's best numbers um, by a lot. Um, you know, Matt Forte has been one of those guys who 
in the Mark Tressman era in Chicago was, yes, a top five running back, maybe even I think a top three running back in PPR formats. But without Mark Tressman, he was at best a top ten, maybe top eight running back, but he usually fell right around the 12 to 14 mark. Whereas Jamal Charles is, is, uh, is arguably, or was arguably, the first overall pick in most in most fantasy drafts. So I guess I'm, I'm just going to take the running back who is far ex- is, is a lot better on the ground, is able to turn up more yardage, and, and unlike Matt Forte, Jamal Charles is easily one of those guys who has the game-breaking speed and can and can blow off one of those 50-yard touchdown runs. I mean, I think he led the league one year in rushing and just missed the all-time record for yards per yards per carry at like 6.3 or 6.2 yards per carry. So he's got that he's got that Olympic speed. He's got that that breakaway speed that that Matt Forte doesn't have, um, and you know, I, I agree that while it is one year uh, age difference, sometimes we've seen it happen before where guys hit 30, 31 years old and they just absolutely fall off a cliff. And I, I am slightly nervous about about that with Matt Forte because he has been a 200 plus touch guy every season he's been in the NFL for the most part. With that being said, I will take Matt Forte. I'm sorry, Jamal Charles. <laughs> uh, 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 sorry. Uh, very good, very good work there. Um, uh, that could be a good article, I think. Sometimes, if pitting guys at this, and I feel like we should maybe produce our articles when we do that. Sometimes, but uh, we'll we'll see. Uh, time for a little plant your flag or wash your hands. Ironically, a lot of these guys have been snatched up over the course of, of this last couple of days. But uh, Antonio Gates, of course, re-signed to uh, be uh, be the red zone guy there, hopefully, in San Diego for his owners. What do you, what do you think there, Beck? Are you planting your flag or washing your hands on Mr. Antonio Gates? Well, Gates is going to be 36 this year. He hasn't been to the Pro Bowl in five years. It's great that he's lasted this long, but I think the floor has to drop out on him at some point. Uh, he had 56 catches, 630 yards, and five scores last year. I would be shocked if he bested that in 2016. I'm not going to cut him, but I'm going to try to trade him and wash my hands if possible. All right, Luke, what are your thoughts there? You know, I like him. I think, unfortunately, with Main Valley, he's a little bit more expensive than what I want to pay for him. Um, so, you know, he should she should be a, a pretty reliable option for for Philip Rivers next year. Um, I think he'll still be the check down guy. Danny Woodhead will steal some of those looks, of course. But uh, you know, for the most part, he'll still he'll still get some touches. He's he's not the guy who's going to be able to break away from a linebacker or safety. So his upside is limited. So I'm probably washing my hands with him too. Yeah, I agree with both you guys there. I just don't see. I mean. Maybe he has eight touchdowns, you know, as a as a prayer this year, but that's going to come with a lot less receptions, I think, if that's the case, because he's certainly going to be used in just a a red zone role. But I, I, I think that would be the best-case scenario. So, I, you know, tight end can be a very thin position. Um, and so, you know, if he's out there late in the startup and you need a second tight end, may, maybe, you know, Especially if it's the best ball or MFL ten, but uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not uh, getting after him too soon here. Uh, Luke, start with you here. What do you think about Ryan Fitzpatrick? Still, still awaiting the team here. 
Yeah, I think that wherever he goes, he'll find a way to put up stats. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is that prototypical guy that you never feel comfortable starting, but when you have to start, he'll somehow, some way, get you 25-plus points. Um, do I want him starting my real NFL team? Absolutely not. Uh, my fantasy team in a pinch? Yeah, why not? I think that he'll either stay with the Jets or we might get lucky and see him go to Denver. Um and so with that being said, I'll, I'll plant my flag with him. I'll, I'll take him as my QB two on a few teams. Um, I guess the other teams out there that could potentially sign him that to be their starter would be St. Louis and Cleveland. That's got to get you excited there, Nick, right? Yeah, exactly. He's a uh, he's a guy I'm going to play on my flag, depending on his landing spot. And with the talented receivers like Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker, Fitzpatrick had nearly 4,000 yards, 31 touchdowns, and only 15 interceptions. But in 12 games the year before in Houston, he only had 2,400 yards. So I guess if he's in New York or Denver, I'm going to plant my flag. If he ends up in L.A., I'm going to wash my hand. And not even a mention of Cleveland. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's... <laughs> He's he's serviceable. I mean, he outscored Big Ben last year. I mean, he that was with that 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 great group there. So, uh, yeah, I guess I'm hoping he lands with the team, so I don't have to look, I don't have to draft a quarterback in a few rookie rookie leagues that I have him in. But uh, we'll see how that works out. Now, this guy's kind of a wild card, but for some reason I got a little soft spot in my heart for him. Uh, what do you think about Leonard Hankerson there? Why don't you go go first there, Nick? Well, in his four years in Washington, he never had 550 yards in a season. But he's six foot one, 205 pounds, and has some speed. So Kyle Shanahan brought him to Atlanta to replace Roddy White. But Hankerson only had 26 catches for 327 yards and three scores in eight games. And when he was pretty much hand-chosen by the offensive coordinator to be the number two receiver opposite all-world Julio Jones. So, you know, I just, I just think I have to wash my hands of him no matter where he ends up. Luke, what do you think? Yeah, I'm 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 all set with Leonard Hankerson. I never believed in the hype last year when he started to break out a little bit with the Falcons. Patriot, he ended up getting cut, and the Patriots signed him. I don't, I don't even think he saw the field, and then he was cut again. And I think Buffalo picked him up, and then he was cut again. So uh, I'm all set with Leonard Hankerson. There's plenty of other guys on the waiver wire that are as valuable, if not more valuable, than him. Yeah, he's certainly a, a guy in a pinch. And he doesn't have a team yet either, so uh, I I don't know. Something about him, like I said, maybe it's uh, like the senior guy. I just I got a soft spot for him, so I'm always going to – I will be intrigued by where he lands, but I'm not going to knock down any fences to get him for sure. Uh, Luke, what do you think about Vernon Davis still without a team? Yeah, Vernon Davis is one of those guys who – like what's what's going on with this guy? He's super athletic. He signed that big contract with San Francisco, and then eventually got traded to Denver. Yeah, I never thought he'd really do much with Denver, just because it's tough to really make an impact when you get traded midseason in the NFL. So now, what to think of him? Uh, I think in my in my tight end article for a projected landing spot, I mentioned that he would be a great Plan B for New England if they lost out on Kobe Fleener. And obviously, we'll talk about Fleener in a little bit here, but uh, the Patriots did miss out on him. And I know that Belichick loves to run a two-tight end set, and they need somebody the ball. Granted, Vernon Davis had a bunch of huge drops in the playoffs this year. Uh, but I think that if he signs with the right team, I'd be willing to take a flyer on him. 
I, I'm planning my flag, but it, it's I'd be quick to cut him if if Vernon Davis really struggles early on because he really hasn't done much since that since that multi double digit touchdown season a few years ago. Yeah, and I just nothing personal against the guy. I just him going to a new scheme at this point in time in his career when he's kind of a he's you know that athletic functioning tight end where he's not a guy that's gonna you know come in and commit to learning the blocking schemes and whatnot. And he just, you know, he's kind of kind of a prima donna there. So I, I think I'll, I've washed my hands with him. I washed my hands with him last year and didn't even look back and didn't even miss him. So uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that with, with with me on him. What do you think there, Nick? Yeah, Vernon Davis is 32 years old. He's done nothing for the last two years, two total touchdowns over the last two seasons. Uh, and when he went to Denver, he went in the, the wrong direction. You figure when a guy first uh, gets traded to a team, he's going to take a few weeks to learn the playbook. But it happened the opposite direction. He's played a bunch when they first got him, and then by the time the season was over, he wasn't playing at all. So that's, yeah, that's I I, I don't trust Vernon Davis at all. Okay. That's because Virgil Green is the man. Um, and that might be the first time I've mentioned him on the podcast. Um, Dwayne Allen. Now, I was totally surprised because Kobe Fleener and Andrew Luck are like, I'm, like they're college roommates. I don't know if they went to high school together, if they dated the same girls or whatever. But, I mean, they're buds. I mean, I know they were college roommates. So I was thought for sure when both those guys are free agents that they would certainly go after Fleener, who I think is obviously I think is a little bit better of a weapon than Dwayne Allen. I think you know Allen's just kind of the big body guy, makes some space for himself and get in the ball. I think Fleener is a little bit more athletic, but uh, Indy chose Allen, so I guess that means we should plant our flag on him. What do you, what do you think there, Nick? Yeah, I mean, four years, $30 million, uh, coming off a 13-game, 16-catch season. But with the fellow tight end, Kobe Fleener, gone, I think he's a guy that you can buy low, try to plant your flag if you can get him cheap, but don't overpay for him because he hasn't been able to stay healthy. So he is still a little bit of a risk. Yeah, I think if you were going to buy low on him, you should have done it before Fleener signed with New Orleans. What do you think there, Luke? Uh, Josh, I totally agree with you. I, I actually – acquired Fleener late last season. I'm sorry, uh, Dwayne Allen late last season, thinking that he was going to be moving on from from Indianapolis and that Indy would re-sign Fleener. But we've seen Ryan Grigson be a moron before, the GM of Colts, and he, he continues to be an absolute idiot. Um, yes, I've seen our Patriots fan who's still mad about <laughs> but whatever. I just think the guy is a terrible GM. Um, I, I would have held on to Fleener if I were them. But you know, Dwayne Allen is a talent. He's, he's been effective before. He can stay on the field. I think he can he can be effective again, especially in the tight octane offense, tempo offense. So I'm going to plant my flag with him. Yeah, we'll see what receiver the Colts draft in the first round this year. Now that, of course, they cut Andre Johnson. Uh, but uh, I think uh, Corey Coleman's maybe the Philip Dorsett of this class. So maybe maybe they can go after him. Uh, I think Coleman's a little bit better, but we'll see. Uh, so what do we think? Toby Fleener there, Luke. Uh, I love the landing down. spot. Uh, again, yeah. going back to my article about the tight ends and being the Patriots, Patriots homer that I was, I really like, wanted to see them pick up Fleener. I thought Fleener would have been a great addition to this team. Uh, I love him with the Saints. 
I think that's a great fantasy landing spot. We've seen Drew Brees and Jimmy Green hook up for, for crazy numbers. We saw Ben Watson, uh, as we call him in New England, pizza pile hands because he can't make any sort of catch whatsoever. Um, but then he goes to he goes to New Orleans and he turns into a stud. Um, I, I, I love the signing. I think it's a perfect fit for him. I think that he's gone from a low-end or a mid-range tight end, too, to a low-range, maybe a top seven, maybe seventh or eighth ranked tight end dynasty formats. So, yeah, obviously I'm planting my flag. Okay. What do you, um, just because I'm such a, um, a dork about it, what do you think about Fleener versus Eric Ebron right now? Oof. I'd have to take Fleener. Ebron's been too hit or miss. He's kind of, and I'm an Ebron fan too. I own I own a few copies of him. Um, he's just been one of those super athletic guys, and he should see a lot more a lot more targets with Calvin Johnson out. But I just, he hasn't shown to to be able to take it to the next level. And so far, Fleener has been the better pro. So I'm, I'm I'd rather roll with Fleener in the offense that's based around dumping it down to the tight end often. We'll see. We'll see if I think I think Ebron might get a little red zone bump with Megatron gone, but that remains to be seen. Uh, Nick, Andre Johnson, how far has he fallen? What do you think? Well, the good news is at 34 years old, he played all 16 games last season, but he only had 41 catches for 500 yards, four scores, and he doesn't want it back. I, I think he's done. I would wash my hands. And, you know, unless he gets picked up in training camp due to an injury, I just don't even think we're going to see him play again. And then Luke's Patriots swipe in and take him. What do you, what do you got, Luke? <laughs> Well, I mean, the, the Patriots, what they'll do is they'll pick him up and they'll pay him, you know, $100,000 to sign then they'll cut him after the first preseason game because that's what they do. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm Reggie not, Wayne style. Reggie Wayne style. Tory Holt. They did it. <laughs> Joey Galloway. Well, actually, Joey Galloway made it to the regular season. But yeah, you, you see it happen all the time. Would I be surprised if he picked him up in, in camp now? But I, I really don't think that he's going to. I don't think he's going to play again because teams are going to want to. Have him sign for the veteran minimum, a no guarantee contract. And I think his pride's going to get in the way. He's like, Nah, I'm good. I'm all set. I've made enough money. So I think he's done the NFL. I'm uh, I'm washing my hands of him. Yeah, it was it was really a a quick descent for him, unfortunately. Um, guy that's popping up on waiver wires a little bit last year, and I. I'm guilty. I snatched him up here and there just because he can't he can't have enough receiver depth. Uh, Rodney White, what do you think there, Luke? You know, I think that Kyle Shanahan really didn't like Roddy White for some reason. I, I don't get why. I understand, yeah, you want to force the ball to Julio Jones. He's the man. But, you know, Roddy just never really got a shot with the Shanahan. I think he still has a little gas left in the tank. I'd definitely take a flyer on him for, for one year as – as one of my bench receivers and hoping that he can turn into a wide receiver three. Cause I think he will sign with somebody. He might get a deal, not similar to Andre Johnson's last year. I think it'll be for a lot less money, but I think he, he might get like a two year deal with guaranteed money in the first year from somebody. Um, again, we always bring up the Patriots because they love the older, <laughs> older vets. Um, Took the words right but, out of my mouth. <laughs> but no, we'll see. We'll see. I, I definitely could see them doing that. Uh, Roddy's best days are obviously behind him, but he he could make some sort of an impact. So I'm going to tread lightly on him, um, knowing that I'll I'll stick my flag again, knowing that I'll I'll cut him quickly if if we see any sort of 
uh, mediocre play like we did last year. Yeah, I mean, if you if you got him or required him last year, you got him on the cheap. So if you have to cut him midseason, it's not going to really hurt you that bad. Um, I am just surprised because I, I remember them being on uh, HBO's Hard Knocks a couple years ago. And, I mean, Roddy White was the most popular guy on that team. He was the character. He was the, the guy in the locker room that had everybody laughing that was goofing off and, and having a good time. And obviously when it was on the field, it, he was all business. I just, I'm just surprised how a coach can, you know, attack another player like that. And I wonder what that internal trick, trickle down effect has on the rest of rest of this roster. And he was a huge friend to Julio Jones. So that I'm not saying Julio is going to take a dip in value, but that that's, that's good. I think that's going to be missed within that organization. So I was just a little surprised at that. I, I really need to see a landing spot. You know, New England would obviously be really enticing, but uh, you know, maybe maybe he jumps ship and goes to to Cincinnati and is opposite uh, AJ Green. That would that would be certainly be intriguing. And I think that was something they could work. I do think since he's going to draft a wide receiver, but I think they're going to try to get a little burner, and uh, Roddy can certainly be that that not wide receiver too. That kind of. Derek Mason later in his career type of player there, I think, for uh, Cincinnati. Nick, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I would love the landing spot if he were to end up in Cincinnati as a wide receiver, too, there. I think he's going to be angry this season. I think he's got a chip on his shoulder. You guys mentioned the the weirdness there with Roddy White and Kyle Shanahan. That kind of seems to be like a thing with the Shanahans. They find players to single out and make examples of, and I, I don't understand it. But, yeah, he only had 43 catches for just over 500 yards and one score last year. Uh, those are actually similar numbers to Andre Johnson. But, you know, White, uh, Roddy White hasn't had the injuries through the years that have plagued Andre Johnson. White's never played fewer than 13 games in a season. So I think if you need a guy to come in and put up, like, say 750, 800 yards and five scores for you, I would definitely plant my flag for Roddy White. I think Carolina is an interesting winning spot for him, too. NFC South rival. You Stick play it to him, yeah. White, kind of a screw-you move to, to Shanahan. <laughs> and, and they could use another wide receiver. Uh, you, there wouldn't be a ton of pressure on him there because they already do have Calvin Benjamin coming back. They have Funchess, who's emerging as hopefully a solid wide receiver. And they have Ted Ginn, who's a downfield threat who drops pitchers on the balls that come his way, but you know, and obviously Greg Olson is a stud, but I really think that the veteran presence of Roddy White in the locker room in Carolina for a team that's already made it to the Super Bowl and already knows how to win could be very interesting. You know, even even Tampa, I think Vincent Jackson's probably one year away from retirement. I was a little surprised they brought him back, but, but they did, so maybe Roddy's there for a couple of years after just to kind of keep Mike Evans head head on straight and getting advice internally. So I mean, they could use another receiver there too. So um, now Nick, we've already been here uh, a little bit, but what are you doing with Chris Ivory if you own him? Well, he had his career high of 1,070 yards and seven touchdowns last year, but now he's going to be splitting carries with T.J. Yeldon. Uh, if I had to guess his numbers, I would say 700 yards and nine touchdowns. I think, like you said earlier, he uh, he's probably going to be the goal line guy. So, you know, I, I plant my flag, I guess, but his value does take a hit. He's not going to be as valuable as he was last year. But I think Yeldon's value takes more of a hit than his does, simply because Yeldon was valued higher than he was going into the offseason. And when when you look at it there with um, with Ivory, if you look at his season as a whole, 
he re- he started out very strong and then he just really pittered away. I mean, I, he was healthy relatively most of the year last year, which surprised the heck out of a lot of people. But uh, I, I I just don't think he's going to have a regular duty anywhere anywhere um, besides like that like that goal line type of back. So what do you think there, Luke? Yeah, I, I think that he's one of those guys who there's games where he's going to get you 24 fantasy points and there's a game where he's going to get you like two fantasy points. Uh, it's going to be frustrating. He's going to be like one of those PBR guys who, again, is, is boomer bust. So you plant your flag and, and you think that, all right, in a pinch, in a bye week, uh, based on injuries, uh, maybe I can start this guy. But you don't, you, you can't rely on him right now because we we have no idea what his workload looks like. Um but he still will have some value in fantasy football leagues. Yeah, I think I would try to sell him to Yeldon owners right now since they're all all down. Um, this is an interesting cat, and maybe another guy that I have a soft spot for. But I do, I do have a friend who is a huge Cowboys fan. So I've watched a lot of Cowboys games. I know. I'm sorry, Nick, but I do watch a lot of Cowboys games. And it's Lance Dunbar there, Luke. What do you what do you think? I you know, when this guy has an opportunity and I think if he was ever healthy when DeMarco was hurt, we could have seen some really good things from him. But he, he just never never it never happened for him in Dallas. But you know, last year he started making some PPR waves. Uh, can can he go elsewhere and maybe be that Danny Danny Woodhead type of player? He could. Uh, absolutely. I think that we saw we saw his potential last year with Dallas and he, he was he was great for most of the year. Unfortunately that that knee injury really hampered it or ended the season. So again he he's gonna be one of those players who you know, will his shining star will have faded too soon, will he not come back healthy hundred percent or you know, was he a product of that Dallas line? We we're we're not sure. It really all depends on his landing spot. If he has the opportunity to get some touches to get 10 to 12 touches a game and four or five of those being receptions, then I'd love to take a flyer on him. But but just like Chris Ivory, just like a guy like Shane Vereen, he's he's a player that you, you really can't trust. And he's going to be on your bench. He's going to be a bi-week guy. He's going to be an injury guy for you. Um, and, again, depending on where he lands. So I'd take a flyer on him. I wouldn't really expect much from him. He's a lottery ticket. If it works out, great. If it doesn't, it's not the end of the world. All right. Um, I was I was hoping you would go uh, Deion Lewis route there for us, maybe. But uh, I know well, New I England already has a Deion Lewis. I'm talking a lot of Patriots, man. I'm trying, I'm trying to spread it out. Granted, <laughs> Shane uh, Green is a former Patriot, so. <laughs> yeah. Nick, could he, could he be the Washington Deion Lewis? What do you think? Uh, I just don't see it. He's only five foot eight. He's played four seasons. He's never had over 150 rushing yards or over 220 receiving yards. Now he's coming off the torn ACL. Uh, I'm washing my hands completely. You know, if I had him, you could give me a seventh round pick in 2021. Split a beer with me, and he's yours. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. Well, one. one maybe more I just maybe here. I just hate the Cowboys. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe you do. <laughs> uh. Garrett Blunt. Now, not not a lot of fanfare around him being a free agent. He's you know not the. Uh, not, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Not the uh, safest player because he certainly knows how to get into trouble. But uh, what what are your thoughts there? Uh, Nick started off with Garrett Blunt. 
well, he's going to be 30 years old in December, 703 yards and six touchdowns last year, but he only had one 100-yard game. He only had one multi-touchdown game, and he ended the season on injured reserve with a hip injury, and he never was the fastest guy to begin with. So even though I've always enjoyed watching him play, I think I've got to wash my hands on the Garrett Blunt. Luke, what are your thoughts there? Well, again, a Patriot player I'll talk about because I watched him a lot. Um, he, he was so frustrating to watch this year. He was just, I'm going to run into the pile, fall down, and, and get a few yards. He he wasn't that that consistent running back that the Patriots needed when he was healthy, and then when he got hurt, obviously that that was was no good. Um, the only time he's ever been a really good running back, other than his rookie year with Tampa Bay, was with the Patriots, and. Uh, I think the Patriots have washed their hands with him. You know, for some reason, Belichick loves the guy, which is just it's an interesting dynamic. You know, sometimes Belichick just gets these gets it and gets these affinities for these these interesting players who have shady histories. Um, and Belichick loves him, but I think that he's done in New England, and I don't see him really moving on anywhere else and, and being successful. If anything, he's a goal linebacker. He's a he's a backup. So I'm I'm gonna be washing my hands. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a backup handcuff type of player. I I couldn't agree with you more there. I'm just not expecting much of him by any means at all. So uh, one more here before I let you go, Luke. And it's just because I will admit that I own more copies of this player than I should. I think I maybe own two, but that's maybe too many. Uh, Nick Foles is. Is is it done? Are we done with him, or is he going to be Romo's backup? What What do you think there, Luke? And I already know how Nick. Yeah, I you know I was very surprised to be honest that Case Keenum got the start over him last year because Case Keenum sucks, <laughs> and I know Nick Foles is is not the second coming of Peyton Manning, but um, I think he's got he has enough talent to be the starting quarterback on the Rams. I I, I don't understand what happened there. Jeff Fisher really likes being mediocre, so you figure that mediocre quarterback like Nick Foles would be a fantastic fit. But something happened there, and that just didn't work out as expected. I I, I don't know. I, I really don't know because I, I just don't know what they're going to do with him. Are they going to trade him? Are they going to keep him? Are they going to cut him? I really don't know what the Rams are going to do. If the Rams give him the opportunity to start and maybe they finally draft a wide receiver – or maybe they pick up a tight end in free agency. He couldn't be. He could be decent, and he could be a starting quarterback in the NFL, which is always valuable in fantasy. So, because there's still the opportunity that he could be a starting quarterback somewhere, I'm going to plant my flag. I'm going to hold on to him. He's nothing more than a bye week felon. He's not going to be even if even if your starting quarterback gets hurt, you're going to try to make a trade because. You really don't want Nick Foles to be your starter, but if you need that bi-week <laughs> villain, you know, he's a guy to have who might throw a touchdown to Todd Gurley or might throw a touchdown to Brian Quick or Tavon Austin. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll I'll stick with him because I, I feel like there is value for starting quarterbacks in the NFL, and I think that he should be starting somewhere. He's not going to blow up. He's not going to be a game changer, but he's going to be a starter. A guy can get the ball downfield, I'm Coincidentally, one of those things I also do own Case Keenum. But hey, it's a 16 team league, and quarterback is right, exactly. extremely valuable. <laughs> uh, but anyway, Luke, I want to thank you so much for doing this. We kept you, I don't know, 40 minutes longer than I said. Uh, but uh, no you're a trooper. You hung in there, and we, we appreciate you, and hopefully we can get you on, on again sometime. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. I really enjoyed it. Even if it went 40 minutes longer than expected, but that's all right. <laughs> I got nothing better to do on a Wednesday night. So, um, thanks again. Fun chatting with you guys. And, uh, like I said, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. All right. Cool. Take care. All right. See you. Okay. Well, we have a lot more to get to. We have, but first we have something really fun planned. Um, yeah, it's fun. I I, may, I was kind of doubting myself, but it's going to be fun. Don't worry. So uh, Nick and Josh here, that's your, your main guys here. We are going to draft seven free agents each, and I need to pen, so I'm going to write this down. Um, basically, like we are building a dynasty team or a fantasy team, uh, offense and defensive players, no offensive linemen, obviously, since this is uh, fantasy. And then after that, we're going to take – four college players in this year's draft. Now, we're not filling out a roster. Uh, we are simply supple- supplementing one. So, and we're not eliminating the guys that have been signed in the last two days. So we're going we're gonna to stick with the guys that were out there on the, at the beginning of this free agency period that made it to that point, even if they got signed or re-signed within the last two days. So, Nick was going to go first here in our free agent draft. So who are you taking round one with, with this free agent class? Because it's really just a look at the class. We don't care about the guys that got signed necessarily. So what do you think, Nick? Well, if I look at the class as a whole, you know, I know in Dynasty Leagues you're supposed to build around the young receiving core, but the running back position is more talented than the receiving position this year. So I have to take the number one free agent pick. It's got to be Lamar Miller, right? Especially now that he's going to Houston, a team that has a history of feeding the ball to their number one running back, whereas he was pretty much ignored half the time in Miami. Lamar Miller's got to be the number one free agent. Well, (laughs) coincidentally, we are doing... Uh, dilemma later as we pit Lamar Miller versus uh, Doug Martin, and, and I agree uh, um, with I don't agree with Lamar Miller. I'm I'm really sticking with my guy Doug Martin, which that might surprise a lot of people because I've been extremely vocal about him in the past. But uh, when you really look at it, when he's healthy, he has been a workhorse there. So even though I love 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 me some Charles Sims, there's plenty to go around there in Tampa Bay. So I'm not at all disturbed by Char- for Charles Sims or with Doug Martin about him getting retained. I think he still has that guy. He's still going to be that guy that's going to get 200-plus carries in this offense, and he caught 30 balls to last year. So I'm going to go I'm going to go with Doug Martin just because he's proven to be uh, that workhorse there. So who you got in round two there, Nick? Uh, in round two, I'm going to take my guy Matt Forte. I just think, you know, even if the Jets draft a running back, he still offers a high floor to be a low-end RB2 or a flex play uh, as a in PPR leagues anyway because he's still going to receiving out of the backfield. So, And with the money the Jets paid him, I don't think he's going to be a uh, – I don't think he's going to be a third down back. I think he's a feature back for the next year or two. So I'll take Matt Forte in the third round. Or second round, sorry. Sure. Oh, that's a tough one because now we're now we're kind of like <laughs> after the big the big three names are gone and of course Alshon got a franchise tag there so um do I take a chance on a quarterback do I go defense um, do I go you know the wide receiver class took a 
huge hit when they lost Alshon, but uh oh jeez, this is tough. Um and I'm I'm not an Arian Foster guy, Nick. So and remember we're just filling out a roster. So uh I was really thinking to go in a different direction there. Oh and he doesn't have a team yet. But uh, I know a lot of people that are really excited about him, and I ranked him number two in terms of wide receiver free agents. So I'm going to go Ruben Randall. I don't love it, but uh, I think that's kind of where we're at in this draft right now. So um, I expected a little bit more out of him last year, but I think he, he certainly has the capability to be a quality uh, number two receiver, a guy that's going to get you, you know, get you 100 targets per year and hopefully catch 80 of them there. So I'm going to go Ruben Randall. What do you got in round three? Well, I've been waiting for the Ruben Randall breakout for years now, and I just it just never has arrived. So I'm all right with you taking him, and I'm going to take uh, my number one receiver on the board, uh, Marvin Jones, the new Detroit Lions wide receiver. Uh, of course, you know, he's not going to put up Calvin Johnson numbers, and I think uh, Golden Tate's numbers definitely take a hit with the Calvin Johnson retirement. But I think he'll still put up solid numbers at, uh, at a low RB, uh, wide receiver, too, possibly a flex play if he doesn't pan out as well as they hoped. Mm-hmm. We uh, are addressing the Golden Tate situation in the question and answer, which returns this Saturday. So make sure you make sure you check that out. Of course, that's run by uh, uh, Jeff Katz, who's, a, who's the quiz master and editor of that. So that's, that's, that should be some interesting uh, choices there. And obviously I got to amend my answer now with the Marvin Jones signing there. But uh, um. Why don't I just go ahead and take the guy that re-signed today. And if you're in IDP leagues and realize what he did last year, you're going to know that this pick is not crazy. And I've got some inside information from a St. Louis beat writer, excuse me, an L.A. beat writer now, I guess we'll say that their plan is that they brought Mark Barron back to continue to play outside linebacker. They cut Laronitis, and they want to move Ogletree inside. So I think Barron is going to be a top 10 IDP player next year. So I'm going to take Mark Barron and hope the other guy I wanted to take in round four. What do you got for us? Well, I hope the guy you didn't have your eye on was Kobe Fleener because that's the direction I'm going. I just think uh, now that he's in New Orleans, Drew Brees, his arm strength continues to decline, so he's going to check the ball, the ball down more and more. Uh, our average guy like Ben Watson was able to put up pretty good numbers. I think uh, Colby Fleener has a lot more pass-catching talent than does Ben Watson at this stage, so I, I am really high on Colby Fleener right now. Well, I, it's interesting you would go that route because I actually believe that the Colby Fleener signing more is good for his value. I think it's really good for Dwayne Allen's value because you look at the guy, and that's who I'm going to take here, obviously, in round four. You look at the guys who are left on that roster, and they don't really have that big guy that can create space for himself in the red zone. So where we saw that production shared between Fleener and Allen in Indianapolis, I think Allen – you know, obviously it's a question of health, like it is with a lot of people. But he's had that history. I think if Allen stays healthy, he could he could be a two uh, double digit uh, touchdown guy there, even if it's 
even if it's uh, not a not a huge reception season there. He's going to get those scores. So I'm going to go with Dwayne Allen here in round four. What do you got fourth in round five? Well, in round five, uh, I'm going to keep the tight end run going, actually. Uh, Ladarius Green, I don't think he's actually signed the contract yet, but I've heard that it's all but a done deal with Ladarius Green going to Pittsburgh. He's finally going to have a chance to be the number one tight end. We know Ben Roethlisberger and uh, the relationship he had on the field with with Heath Miller over all those seasons, with Miller putting up pretty decent numbers. Ladarius Green has a chance to be finally realize his potential this season. Okay. Um, I like it. Um, but you're just never going to give up on that guy, right? <laughs> uh, and I understand that. I understand how that goes. Um, you just want to be so right about a player. Um, I like it. Um, I still, I'm still not sold, but like you said, going to Pittsburgh with Martavius and, uh, what's that other guy's name, the short guy? AB84, I think he's all right, too. And obviously a stout running game if Bell comes back healthy. Yeah, he's seeing he's seeing single coverage. They're going to say, yeah, make Ladarius beat us there. So that could be that could be a player that you could look at and maybe trade high if he starts out really well. So uh, I, I like it there. Um, uh, sorry. Moving forward. There we go. Um my fifth round pick, and I kind of want to go back to the defensive side of the ball, but uh, I'm not totally there right now. But um, we'll see. I thought I had somebody else in mind here. So let's just go. Let's just go back to the defensive side of the ball. I guess that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go. Um, uh, and this might surprise some people that I'm not going to go with Malik Jackson, but I'm going to go with Olivier Vernon. I think the place, the people, and pl- the p- players they have in place already there in New York, uh, where the defense struggled last year, they have a lot of pieces that do some good things off the edge that are speed pieces and. You know, if JPP comes back to any type of form, I think Vernon's going to be a guy that uh, he's obviously got paid, so he's going to stay on the field. I think he's a guy that could really uh, do a lot of damage there in this, in this scheme. Um, and uh, speaking of foreshadowing, how about me calling Bruce Irvin to the uh, to the Raiders a couple of weeks ago, huh? I didn't, I didn't want it to happen, but here we are. Um, who you got in round six there, Nick? Well, in round six, I'm going to take the only quarterback who I think is a safe bet to uh, take a team to the playoffs if a contending team were to sign him, and that's Ryan Fitzpatrick. I'm just not a big fan of Brock Osweiler. You know, he had a golden opportunity last season after sitting and learning, you know, you know, soaking up the NFL for a few years. He got to go in there with a very talented uh, group around him, and he just you would expect him to light the world on fire, and he really didn't. So I don't like Brock Osweiler, so I'm going to take Ryan Fitzpatrick no matter where he ends up. Okay. Um, well, um, I think it's Fitzmagic now, actually. But uh, where a lot of people don't want to give him a lot of credit because he was kind of a one-year wonder, I'm super excited about Travis Benjamin to to uh, San Diego. You know, Allen 
Keenan Allen is not didn't get hurt in the lower leg again or anything. I think he's going to be fine. Um, it's going to be just a matter of strength, and they're obviously not going to play him till he's ready. But Benjamin is just one of those burners. Uh, seems like he's there for all from the Miami Hurricanes or some foreign school. But he's just one of those burners that can really do damage, can run up the seam. He can be their Victor Cruz. I really think he can, especially with Allen, you know, getting eight to ten targets on the other side. Um, and there's no other – besides Stevie Johnson, there's no other really real competition on this team. So I'm going to take Travis Benjamin in the sixth. But I'm a little surprised he lasted that long. Round yeah, I don't seven. believe me. He was he he was my next receiver on the board, definitely. Um, and you know, in round seven, if, if this was actually drafting to start a team, I would probably go defense. A lot of guys still on the board, like Danny Trevathan, George Iloka, uh, Sean Gibson. But since we're just going best player overall, I think I would have to take uh, Chris Ivory in the seventh round, even though he's going to be splitting carries with uh, T.J. Yeldon. We talked about it before. We uh, we we assume he's going to be the goal linebacker. So I think that gives him a little bit of value there. So I'll go with Chris Ivory. Well, that leads me to take a chance. Um, and you know how much I love my boy down in Houston, DeAndre Hopkins. So why not take his quarterback? I I think, like I said, I believe in the pieces that they're putting around him. Lamar Miller is certainly going to keep some defense is honest, you know, even if they're committing a safety in a corner to DeAndre Hopkins. Um, I, I, I think Osweiler can get it done. And I believe uh, that uh, I think he'll, he's not with that type of defense. He might not ask to be do a whole lot, um, but um, I think he can certainly open it up and uh, get some, get some good stats there. So I got no problem taking Brock Osweiler as a, as a, sh- just on a sh- sheer chance that he's uh, breaks out there for uh, the Houston Texans. So that's uh, that's our seven-round free agent draft, just kind of looking at this free agent class. So just to recap, it was first round of Lamar Miller, Doug Martin. Uh, round two, Doug, excuse me, Matt Forte, then Ruben Randall. Um, Marvin Jones, Mark Byrne in round three. Only, only defensive player, Mark Byrne. Kobe Fleener and Dwayne Allen. And round four, uh, round five, Ladarius Green and Olivier Vernon. Sorry, not our only defensive player. Um, round six, Fitzmagic and Travis Benjamin. Uh, round seven, Chris Ivory and Brock Osweiler. So I think we've got a pretty good basis there. I was the I'm the I'm the IDP Raider, so of course you know I'm going to take two guys. But I really think Mark Barron's going to be phenomenal there. So uh, any any thoughts there? Any surprises, Nick? I did. I did restrain myself from Muhammad Sanu, and I feel a little bit bad about it. But what do you think? Um, a little surprised that Danny Trevathan didn't get drafted. I think uh, the opportunity for him in Chicago to be a big tackle machine is going to be there. Um, not really surprised about. Uh, not a whole lot of surprises, really. Uh, I I didn't think uh, Marvin Jones was going to fall as far as he did. I thought he would be picked up a little quicker. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm just not. A, I'm just not a fan. I really not. I I did think about Trevathan, but uh, you know, with a lot of a lot of teams even going to the four three, I just feel like there's a lot of linebackers out there that make make a lot of tackles, and where I, I and I guess I already own Trevathan, so it's not like I was 
he's not like Mark Barron where I just felt like I needed to get him. And I know this isn't this isn't a real thing, but um, oh, phone just fell out of my hand. Um, I I just think it might be a little bit of a learning curve, even though he's he's joining the uh, uh, join John John Fox and company. It's not uh, it's not the same type of defense they ran in Denver, so there might be a little bit of a a little bit of a learning curve there, and I really believe in in Christian Jones being the being the head honcho linebacker there for 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 excuse me for Chicago, where I think he's got a lot of speed, so that might be used in coverage. I think they might trust Trevathan a little bit more in coverage. So, well, I guess we'll we'll leave it at that and move on to our four round rookie draft. Um, again, we're just supplementing the team not filling out a roster. So, I mean, I guess since you got Lamar Miller and Doug Martin, that means I have to take Ezekiel Elliott, right? What well, do you I think no matter. Yeah. yeah, I mean, pretty much Sorry. if you have the number one pick, you're taking Ezekiel Elliott, no matter who you have at running back, unless you're just completely stocked. So, number two, I'll probably take Laquan Treadwell. He's pretty much, you know, he's got the good size, 6'2", 210 pounds. You, most people think he's going to be the number one receiver there, so I'll go with Laquan Treadwell. A little bit safer of a pick than some other guys. Okay. Well, I'm going to leave the door open for you on the running back front. And I'm going to take Josh Doxson. I, I'm more and more impressed with him every every time I watch him, everything I read about him. I, I really believe in him. Obviously, landing spot's huge with these guys, but I, I think Doxson's a guy that's going to get golden opportunity as a as a rookie and I am not a huge turtle fan so I'll take Docs. I have no problem with that pick because he was actually going to be my pick I assumed that you would take uh, Derrick Henry but since Henry's still there I have to go with the running back there um, I just I think he's I, I know there are some questions but I think he answered a lot of those at the combine he had pretty good measurables especially for a guy that's 6'3", 242 so I think I'll take Henry there from the second round. Uh, I am a Henry fan, but there's also a couple of running backs that I like a little bit, a little bit later on, uh, and I'm a, and I do believe Henry's going to be a lot more successful than people that want to give him credit for. But uh, I'm going to go with my guy Kenneth Dix. Uh, I got rookie profile coming out on him on Monday. DFW, make sure you check check that out. We got tons of rookie profiles flowing right now, as, long, as well as uh, Luke's free agency articles. Got a great load of content up over the last couple, week or so. So make sure you go back and read those rookie profiles. But uh, Kenneth Dixon is still to come, and uh, and I and I really believe Dixon. Uh, yeah, he's just an exciting player out of Louisiana Tech. So I'll take Dixon here in round three. Well, I will follow that up with Corey Coleman. I know Baylor receivers don't have a great track record. Terrence Williams, really, he's been an okay player, but he hasn't really shined like some people thought he would. Uh, and he's only 5'11", 190, but I think that's big enough. And uh, I think he's athletic enough. He, he's going to make it. He'll, he'll be better than uh, than Terrence Williams in the NFL, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think he's. I think he's very, very good. And he's yeah he's going to do some some really good things, but uh, that left the door open for me to take the other the other receiver that I really like, and that's uh, that's Tyler Boyd. I know he didn't test extremely well like a lot of people hoped, but this guy is so versatile, so good with his feet, so 
amazing at field awareness and catches with his hands or his body, whatever the situation requires. I love how he adjusts and, you know, he was the real only weapon on this offense and they used him at running back. I think he even took a couple of snaps in a wildcat formation. I mean, this guy, I don't think there's going to be any, any learning curve. I think whoever is going to take him, is going to really thrust him into a, to an exciting role, even if it's not like a, you know, a wide receiver one role, I think he's going to do some exciting things as a rookie, and his career is just going to build from there. So super happy to get Mr. Tyler Boyd there in the fourth round. What do you think there, Nick? Uh, well, with the final pick, I'm going to go with Carson Wentz, quarterback out of North Dakota State. And it's not so much that I love Carson Wentz. I think he I think he compares – a lot of people compare him, obviously, from the small school to Joe Flacco. I think he could have a relatively similar career stat-wise, obviously, to win a championship like Flacco has. you got to have a lot of things go right around you. But he's really the only quarterback in this class that I am – that I am convinced is going to be a starter. Obviously, some other guys like Goff have a chance to be starters, but I, Wentz is the only guy who I really have a good feeling about as far as the quarterbacks in this draft. So I have no problem taking him at the end of the fourth round. Okay. Um, little surprised I didn't take Paul Perkins there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you got to build around those young receivers. So if I get Zeke and Dixon, I'm super, super happy, and I'll take some – Receivers there too, and obviously nobody's going to get you know Zeke, Doxon, Kenneth, Kenneth Dixon, Tyler Boyd in, in their rookie draft unless you have four first round picks. Uh, but uh, just just a good good basis to kind of let you guys know where where things are at. Um, and, and if these are you know if it's the first eight picks in your rookie draft are Zeke, Treadwell, Doxon, Derrick Henry, Dixon, Coleman. Boyd and Wentz, I don't think you're going to be surprised. I, I, I too, echo your statements on Wentz there. He, he will be a starter, and, you know, even if it's Cleveland, maybe he's hooking up with Josh Gordon. I mean, he's, he's certainly has proven to be a winner, and I think that can have a guy with that much success already under his belt could help an organization, albeit sounds like a huge task if he goes to Cleveland, it, it's uh, something that I think could uh, be very, very good for them. I, I still don't agree with a lot of decisions they're making here and there, but uh, if they take Wentz, I will, uh, I'll be very intrigued because you know he's going to get that, that opportunity there. I think he also, you could also think he is going to last that long in the draft there. So, um, any any surprises there, Nick? That uh, in that in that rookie style draft there. Um, I'm a little surprised that you weren't surprised by my Carson Wentz pick, actually. I, I thought that might have been a little bit of a reach for him, but like I said, he's the only quarterback that I feel comfortable with. So, I think it is it is a little bit of a reach, but if you you know if you have a need and you know you want to you want that uh, you know maybe you have you're sitting there with like a Romo in a breeze and you and you you're pretty stocked at running back and. Uh, Running back and wide receiver, you can take Wentz and maybe you know trade the rest of your picks for a few uh, few uh, complimentary players. I, I I don't I don't think that's bad, you know. And I'm really really trying to figure out who's going to pull that trigger in our 16 team rookie draft. That's going to be really interesting to see where that quarter first quarterback falls off of the board there. And obviously, we'll know more with landing spot um, moving forward. Uh, after the draft in terms of, you know, who's going to get that opportunity. But with 
with a 16-team league, even though it's not a two-quarterback league, quarterbacks, because it's the best ball, quarterbacks are super, super valuable. So if you think there's a, you know, a guy, and I think this quarterback class is actually pretty deep. There's not you know five or six franchise quarterbacks in this league, but there's there's guys that can be serviceable in 10-team, 12-team leagues. I really, I really think that. I really like Dak Prescott. He's probably he's my number two quarterback. Or excuse me, my number three quarterback right now. He might be my number two depending on landing spot when all is said and done. But uh, um, so yeah, I don't think that's bad. But 16-team league, I, w- I want some, I want some knowledge. I want to know who did a 16-team rookie draft last year and when those quarterbacks started falling off of the board. So uh, that could be interesting. So just to recap, how look at Nick's team first here: Lamar Miller, Matt Forte, Marvin Jones, Kobe Fleener, Ladarius Green, Fitzmagic, Ivory, Laquan Treadwell, Derrick Henry, Corey Coleman, and Carson Wentz. So two quarterbacks, three running backs, just two wide receivers, and uh, two tight ends there for Nick. Uh, my team: Martin, Randall, Mark Barron. Dwayne Allen, Olivier Vernon, Travis Benjamin, Osweiler, Zeke, Doxon, Dixon, and Boyd. So two running backs, three wide, excuse me, four wide receivers, and uh, one tight end and a couple IDP players. So excuse me, three running backs, two wide, four wide receivers, and a couple IDP guys, and I also got Osweiler there with the with the quarterback. So. Um, I thought that was kind of a fun way to approach the free agency period, you know, us kind of taking that GM role. And obviously these are all quality players that aren't going to all end up on one team, but just kind of, kind of a fun thing to, you're not going to end up on one team, but yeah, these are people's pieces that could be on one, one dynasty team, especially uh, I want to find out more about that supplemental dynasty draft that Luke did. That, that could be an interesting, uh, interesting read. If we look back at that, especially, you know, five or six years down the road, uh, removed from that type of thing. So uh, moving on, and thank you for indulging me with that, Nick. I just thought that was a fun idea. It's time for Nick Rants. This is where I give my co-host the floor to kind of rant about something that's bothering him or something that's on his mind or something, some brilliant idea he has that uh, what he's going to use when he becomes an NFL GM someday. Um, I think that's one of those cases today. Sometimes I like to call it shots fired. Sometimes I like to call it often controversial. Um, but what do you got for it? Nick Rant. So now that the reigning Super Bowl champions lost Brock Osweiler, who got an $18 million per year contract from Houston, it seems they're left scrambling for a quarterback, being linked to guys like Colin Kaepernick, RG3, and less often Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think Fitzpatrick would be an okay plug for a year or two, but I've heard the other guys mentioned far more frequently. Now, can you picture the Broncos competing for a Super Bowl with either RG3 or Colin Kaepernick? I cannot, not in 2016 anyway. But there is another option, one that nobody's talking about that could have the Broncos competing at perhaps a higher level than last season. If I were in John Elway's shoes, I would sign Kirk Cousins and gladly part ways with the 32nd overall pick this year and in all likelihood a late first rounder next year. Cousins completed nearly 70% of his passes last season for over 4,100 yards, 29 touchdowns, and only 11 interceptions. He had uh, seven 300-yard games, three four-touchdown games, and two more games with three touchdowns. He only had one interception over the last six games of the regular season. Now, if Osweiler, who only had one 300-yard game, is worth $18 million per season, 
or even the $16 million that Denver offered him, then Cousins surely has to be worth $20 million a year, right? He may even take less money to have the chance to move to a more successful organization. Now, of course, Washington wouldn't have the chance to match any offer, so Denver would need a poison pill in the contract. Maybe he had a clause that says if over 80% of his games are played under 5,000 feet elevation, then he's owed $10 million bonus every year. You know, the Mile High City wouldn't have to worry about the Skins paying $30 million a year for Kirk Cousins. And remember, team president John Elway and head coach Kubiak both played under Cousins' former coach Mike Shanahan. So not only would he be familiar with the scheme, but Shanahan recently stated his belief that Kirk is a guy you can win a Super Bowl with. Now, maybe there's some animosity I don't know about between Shanahan and Elway, and John Elway just wants to bring in RG3 to prove Mike Shanahan wrong. I don't know. But to me, the smart move and the only chance they have of repeating is to make a move to try to get Kirk Cousins. What do you think about that, Josh? Um, I, I don't know. I wouldn't dismiss Colin Kaepernick where I see – I see your point, and it's a very good point to get Cousins thrown to uh, Demarius Thomas and uh, Emmanuel Sanders, uh, and of course Virgil Green, where that's certainly an upgrade. I mean, Kaepernick went to the Super Bowl with Michael Crabtree, Mario Manningham <laughs> as the number two guy with receptions on that team, uh, and he also had Vernon Davis. I and mean, that was that was the year that he wasn't the full time starter, and he was just five and two, and took this team. Uh, to the Super Bowl. So I, I, I think Kaepernick, where he'd probably come a, maybe a little bit cheaper than that because he wouldn't have to match the offer. And I think San Francisco might be okay with getting rid of him, even though we've heard otherwise. I just think, why not? You got Not only do you have a guy that can, can, can be a little more mobile, he's going to have an upgrade at wide receivers. And... You know, his mobility, whether you're against it or not, is going to eat clock. And with a great defense like that, why would you not want somebody like that? I mean, his top receivers that year they went to the Super Bowl were Michael Crabtree at 85 receptions. The next is Mario Manningham with 42, and then Vernon Davis with 41. They also had Randy Moss that year who only had 28 receptions. But I just think... That, given that group two tandem of wide receivers, I'd be really interested to see what Colin Kaepernick could do. I, and obviously, he's not going to wear number seven. That would be too much. But uh, maybe he can wear number seventy-seven or seventeen. You know, just to, just to really stick it to Osweiler there. But uh, I don't know. I I, I see your point, but um, Kaepernick might be cheaper, and a, and he's a little bit more proven. I mean, the guy has. Super Bowl, or not Super Bowl, he went to the Super Bowl, but he's got playoff wins under his belt there. So. Uh, good good point is always there on, on, on Nick Grant, though, as well. But, yeah. Kaepernick, 4-2 and two in the playoffs. So, uh, it's time for some IDP. Plant your flag or wash your hands. Um, Eric Weddle, what do you think, Nick? Old man Weddle said he wants to play three to five more seasons. That's crazy. You know, he's a guy that plays all the DB positions, except for maybe you know the the, the outside corner route. But uh, he can he can match up with guys in the nickel, and he can cover a tight end. He can he can do the the single high, and he can be that strong safety in the box too. So he certainly has value to a team. I just don't know if it's going to translate into IDP value at this point in his career. What do you think? 
I think it will. He only turned 31 in January. His numbers were down last year, but that sometimes happens when players are disgruntled with their situation the way he was there in San Diego. In 2013 and 2014, he had 114 and 115 tackles. He's a guy who would play my flag in. I think, you know, he wants to play for three to five more years. I would say he would have put up productive IDP numbers for another two to three years. Yeah, I just don't know if it's, it's going to be – I don't know. With so many young safeties out there, you know, like the Dayon Buchanan guys that I think they're going to be better, like Calvin Pryor, there's still Malcolm Jenkins out there. I just, I'm not sure. I just don't know. Uh, the next guy up for bid here is Mr. William Moore, also, also going to be 31 here in May. Um, been, a, been a Falcon his whole career, Nick. Is, is he going to? Uh, be able to step away and be productive somewhere else. Uh, he does. He's he's had, he's had a bit of a a drawback the last couple of years, but he's only played in 18 games the last two seasons. What do you think? Well, when I look at players who get cut by their teams, I try to see how much of a cap hit the team takes in dead money compared to what they saved. And in William Moore's case, they took a 3.3 million dollar cap hit and only saved $3.2 million. So that's a big red flag to me, especially for a 31-year-old who's missed 14 games over the last two years. I'm washing my hands and blowing it on. Yeah, I, I wonder, I mean, I, I see your point about the, the, the cap money there, but I wonder what, you know, the new coaching style, a new kind of regime has to do with the fact that they want to get young players that can buy into their system there and, Maybe there was just some disagreements, and obviously age age decline there is a factor there too. But uh, you know, William Moore is a guy with that when he's fully healthy is certainly a quality DB. Uh, you know, if where he ends up playing might 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 change your your stance on him because I mean, geez, if he went to Oakland, I would be super excited, and I would certainly consider him. Um, you know, for my IDP because he's a guy that's going to be around at the end of. Startups, he'll 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 be around there in those those 30th rounds. So, I, I I'm temporarily washing my hands, or excuse me, planting my flag and hoping he ends up someplace. Um, did Cincinnati really sign Pac-Man Jones back today? What what the hell? I mean, is that the that's got to be the biggest surprise of the day? I know it's kind of low level news, and it's not necessarily IDP news because he's a cornerback, but he when you know when he's playing, he does produce decent numbers for a cornerback, but really bring him back? Come on. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, he's going to be 33 this season. He's only missed two games over the last four years, but really, 33, and we see a lot of older cornerbacks switch to safety. Pac-Man's only 5'10", 180 pounds, so I don't think that Adam Jones has the safety switch in him. Uh, I'm going to wash my hands. I, I figure, especially with corners, it's better to get rid of him a year too early than a year too late. Yeah, corners that really weird position there in IDP where you could really find a guy every week maybe on the waiver wire that could help you out. So, yeah, I'm washing my hands, but I just more or less just totally surprised that after what happened last year in the playoffs that they would even think about bringing him back. Um, Steven Tulloch, uh still without a team there, getting up there in age around the 30 mark. Nick, what do you think about that linebacker, former Detroit Lion? 
Well, he had over 100 tackles last year, just like he has every year but one since 2009. Uh, like you mentioned, 31 years old. He lost the three-down duties last year, but I think as long as he's a first and second down middle linebacker, inside linebacker, wherever his new home ends up being, I think he can still be an IDP contributor. I, I'd plant my flag as long as he ends up being a starter wherever he's at. Yeah, and, you know, he'd bounce back after after tearing his knee up too, which I think sh- should not – you know, you should note that he has that knee on his resume, but it, it, it's also worth noteworthy that he recovered from it very, very well. So, um, yeah, I think he's a guy that, you know, if he's going to a place, he's not going to sign for, you know, to some really crappy team just to just to do whatever. He's going to go to place, some place to be a contender. Um, Nick Perry, now this guy is still young, hasn't really ever seen full start full starting duties, but what do you think about the former USC Trojan there? Um, he, like you said, a former first-round pick, but he's never had more than 31 tackles in a season or more than four sacks in a year, so I just don't see any appeal here, really. I, I'm washing my hands if you hadn't already. Yeah, I just... he He's an intriguing player because I think... Um, you know, he's the linebacker DN kind of hybrid there at six three, two seventy one, but unless he goes somewhere, you know, like even like Atlanta would be interesting to see how they would uh, use a player like that. But I don't know, he's got he's got twelve twelve career sacks. I just I don't I don't think he's a, a guy that you're gonna draft. He's certainly a player to watch the waiver wire and really, really watch after he gets that landing spot. Because if I mean, if he becomes a full-time starter somewhere, he could certainly, yeah, certainly help you out there. Um, Charles Johnson, defensive end. Charles Johnson, um, still, still without a team there. Nick, what do you think? Uh, is he? I could have sworn he resigned with the Carolina Panthers. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Let me double check on that. Um, assuming he did, and I'm bringing the page up right now. Uh, he was hurt for part of 2015. He only had one sack in nine games and 12 tackles in the regular season. But in the postseason, he had three sacks. Proof he can still be an impact player. He's going to be 30 years old this year. You know, I don't know if he can match his career high with 12 and a half sacks like he had in 2012. But I think he should bounce back to his 2014 numbers at least when he had uh, 41 tackles and eight and a half sacks. I would plant my flag. And yes, he re-signed a one-year, three million dollar deal with Carolina. Hmm. And with Coney Ely emerging, uh, I think Thomas Davis has got a couple decent years left in him, and uh, you know, potentially Shaq Thompson playing behind him. You know, you know the opportunities there for him to see, uh, uh, not not to see too many double teams there. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's not a not a bad call there, Nick. I, I think I'll, I think I'll agree with you there, it's just because he hasn't totally fallen off. Um, Mario Williams, no. Buffalo asked him to do some ridiculous things last year, and and maybe Miami would just say go get the pass rusher, or go get the passer, and uh, obviously that's probably what they're going to do with Williams now that Vernon is elsewhere. But I, I'm just not sold on him. Where I really liked him there for a while, I'm not I'm not positive of what he has left in the tank. He seemed to sign somewhat of a decent deal. I was surprised the money that he settled for there. But uh, what, what do you think? Well, he was a horrible fit in Buffalo's 3-4 defense. Rex Ryan should have just cut him when he got the job there. 
but when he was used correctly, Williams had three straight years of double-digit sacks before 2015. Uh, also, don't forget the presence of Ndamukong Sue on that defensive line. That should help free him up a little bit as well. I think I would plant my flag. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I'm I'm a little worried stuff kind of got his head. Um, I don't know if this guy's going to actually get a team considering the last couple of years that he's had. But what do we think about Greg Hardy there, Nick? Well, Dallas has a history of overlooking personal flaws if a ta- player is talented enough, but it seems like they don't want him back after he had only six sacks in 12 games last year. Only one and a half sacks over the last six games in the last year. Uh, you know, even if he had 10 sacks, he's such a locker room problem. I don't know why anybody would want him in fantasy or a regular. Yeah, yeah, I just, I really just, I think he's just going to sit sit around and, and, uh, not not find a team. I just he's too much of a distraction. Like you said, I just when he's on, he's he's a very good player. But we haven't seen that for quite some time. He hasn't been that dominant player for quite some time. Um, Damon Harrison, Nick, uh, he uh, swapped New York teams and is now a a Jet. Excuse me, a Giant as opposed to being a Jet. Uh, only only DT here on the plant your flag or wash your hands, but. Uh, going to be playing in that 4-3 there with uh, hopefully Jonathan Hankins, who has proven to be a very good defensive tackle. What Do you think Harrison is a guy that's, that I've noticed as a free agent in a lot of full IDP leagues, but he's usually the highest scoring defensive tackle free agent, so he's certainly a guy that I think, I think to keep your eye on, and I think the Giants is a pretty good landing spot for him because he's going to have that opportunity there. What do you think? Well, he, he's a good guy to keep your eye on. I agree with that. And he has been he was great versus the run when he was with the Jets. Uh, now he's paired with Jonathan Hankins in the middle of the New York Giants revamped defensive line. The 72 tackles he had last year looks great on paper, but I, I wonder how much of that was due to teams doubling the Jets' other more talented defensive linemen. Now, I'm definitely not releasing him, but I think I would try to trade him if there's anybody that was high on him in case those 72 tackles end up being a career high. And also keep in mind he's not a good ap- option in sack-heavy scoring leagues. He's only had one and a half sacks in the three seasons uh, that he's had a meaningful playing time. Mm-hmm. And but and that is, I mean, a shocking number of tackles for, for a defensive tackle. I mean, like 50 tackles, in case you're not sure, is amazing for a defensive tackle. Uh, but like you said, you know, that's with, Leonard Williams, Muhammad Wilkerson, and Sheldon Richardson, you know, around him. So that and some pretty good linebackers in that team too. So well, yeah, we'll we'll see what that translates into. And he's definitely the run stopper, not the pass rusher there, like Nick said. So, um, a couple prospect profiles before we get to uh, the very much um, looking forward to dynasty dilemma of Lamar Miller versus Doug Martin. Um, I want to take a look at a couple uh, lower-end wide receivers. Uh, first guy, uh, FCS guy out of Montana there, Jamal Jones, six foot one, 191 pounds. Um, extremely athletic, uh, red shirt, senior flanker type of player there for the Grizz. Uh, runs clean routes and is able to block downfield. Kind of a deceptive wiggle. Of course, that small school pedigree kind of has him teetering in round the round seven conversation. Um, he does 
use extreme will after the catch and really fights for extra yardage, which really impresses me. Just just the determination he has to really get extra yardage after the catch. Uh, was not invited to the combine, so it's kind of hard to tell his actual speed against lesser opponents. But like I said with Carson once a few months ago, if, when you watch a player like this, you really want to see that they're the best player on the field. And that's certainly the case with Jones. I mean, you certainly see that he is special versus the talent that is out there surrounding him. Um, so I was impressed by that. He does kind of remind me of the, a Nelson Aguilar, Marquis Lee type player, and I know that's not two names that are going to get anybody super excited right now, but he just kind of has that same type of movement to his game. Um, his dynasty value is obviously going to be a little predicated on if he makes an NFL roster. That's still somewhat of a long shot there, but uh, I, I like him over a guy like uh, uh, Robbie Anderson out of Temple where he's just a little too thin for for uh, the NFL. I think Jamal Jones is going to be a guy that could potentially surprise some people and maybe cut his teeth as a as a wide receiver uh, four on an actual NFL roster and potentially growing into uh, more given the right uh, instruction there. Any, any questions there about Jamal Jones? Well, you mentioned he's uh, pretty, it was pretty obvious that he was the best player on the field when he was going up against lesser competition. Is there any film of him going up against D1 schools at all? Not, not that I have found yet. I just kind of stumbled upon him the other day, and I just I was really intrigued by the by the film. And there is film with him on draft breakdown going against North Dakota State Carson Wentz's team. So that's you know this is that's the cream of the crop as far as that that level of talent uh, at the college level goes. And he he certainly put up some some decent plays and some good numbers in that game. So that's certainly a game that you could watch. Bob. I'm not sure if there's any other full games that you could find on him on YouTube, but uh, certainly uh, certainly an intriguing player. But like I said, he's, he's certainly a, a long shot to get drafted and maybe seventh rounder at best. Um, Kiaris Garrett uh, out of Tulsa. Um, six foot four, two hundred and twenty-one pounds. Love the size there. Silky, silky smooth. Uh, very much like a gazelle in the open field. His long strides, gain separation. His long arms are kind of just indefensible versus uh, DBs that are shorter than him. Uh, a hands catcher, but he can also adjust on the fly to the situation, which I really like about Garrett. There um, has shown a a little bit too much emotion at times. He's gotten some personal foul penalties, which uh, kind of, kind of maybe a slight little red flag. He does remind me of uh, Martavius Bryant and just kind of his, like I said earlier, his silky smoothness. I don't think he's going to be that good, but he just kind of has that smoothness to his game. Uh, he uses his length very well, and uh, he uses it to. Uh, Uses his length really well and knows how to get open downfield. Uh, love the hands and size combo, and that's in his uh, his fourth five three forty time is a very respectable compared to uh, the rest of the class. It's top fifteen in terms of this wide receiver class. Who's it's not an overly fast wide receiver class. You know, we got Will Fuller there at the top, but uh, um, Garrett is just an, an intriguing player. And again, the competition level isn't the greatest, but. Uh, very intriguing to me. Um, I believe he has the juice to play on the outside and be that physical wide receiver that can go against top quarterbacks. Um, you know, his job won't be easy early on, and I don't think he's going to be in success by any means. Uh, but he's a player that, you know, three years from now, I think people will be 
be excited about if he's in, in the right situation. Any questions there about Kiara? I think it's Kiaris or Kiaris Garrett there out of Tulsa. Well, you mentioned the fact that he's got some kind of long strides, and sometimes that uh, raises some question marks as far as are they agile enough. Do you think he's got the agility enough to be like a, a possession type of receiver, or is he just pretty much a go-around type of guy? No, I think he does. I mean, when you see him get that long strides, it's because he's you know he's running up a pattern downfield. I think he's you know he's has that ability to to uh, you know. Get, make those nice cuts to where it's maybe not as pretty as some of those those shorter those shorter guys that can do the the turn on a dime thing. I think he's a guy that that can do that, and because of his length, he he doesn't need a whole lot of separation to kick the ball because he just uses it so well. So, I, very intriguing player to me. So, um, it's time for our final not our final but our last dynasty dilemma for the day and. And we will bid you farewell. And I want to say, I forgot to say it earlier, but I'm getting together with Mr. Mike Craffick tomorrow as my wife is out of town. And we are going to uh, do a little cute rookie QB podcast. I'm going to also talk about some tight ends and some offensive linemen. So if you're not excited about that, I'm only going to talk about it. Kind of do uh, get you going here with these rookie primer uh, podcast and I just have an extra night here to myself, so I'm going to hit it up with uh, with Mike there as we talk about some rookie quarterbacks. So make sure you check that out tomorrow night. We're going to start at the same time uh, that we did tonight. But let's talk about Mr. Lamar Miller versus Doug Martin. Nick had the opportunity to go first, so let's uh, let's take a quick breath and uh, Nick will hit us up with what he has in Lamar Miller, even though we've been there several times in this podcast already in both these guys. So we're going to set the record straight here. Well, you know, with Lamar Miller, let's start with the fun Maui sack since that's where I'm at. There's a bush called the Silver Sword. The only place on earth that it's found is on Maui, in and around the crater at the top of the volcano called Haleakala, at 10,000 feet above sea level. A few square miles is the only place in the world this bush is found. So it's pretty rare. But that's not as rare as a top free agent running back that as an NFL GM I would actually pay market price for. But to me, Lamar Miller is that kind of running back in my eyes. First off, he's only going to be 25 this season. So he should have four to five solid seasons left. Uh, plus, he hasn't been rode into the ground. He's only had 638 carries in his four seasons. His career high was only 216 carries, and he hasn't missed a game in the last three seasons. So for four years, $26 million, I think that's a free agent steal. But there's two really big reasons to love about him. First, his yards per carry. 4.6 yards per carry for his career. He's never had a season under four yards per carry. Now, Doug Martin's career uh, yard per carry numbers are close, 4.4, but he was under four yards per carry in both 2013 and 2014 when he rushed for under 1,000 yards in the 17 games he played over that span, and he only had three touchdowns to go with that 17, uh, to go with that 1,000 yards. But throw out Doug Martin's two down years, his injury history and his age, and the fact that he's two years older than Lamar Miller. 
the biggest reason I would go with Lamar Miller is the fact that when he got the ball, Miami won. The interim head coach, Dan Campbell, would have gotten uh, the full-time job if he had just fed Miller every week instead of once every month. And it's not like whatever running back they plugged into the backfield has had success in Miami. It's actually been the opposite. The O-line there has been a weakness for a long time, and running backs from Daniel Thomas to Jonas Gray and J.H.I. have struggled to find holes. Miller averaged four and a half carries last year. Four and a half yards per carry last year. Neither Gray nor Ajay had over four. Uh, now, Doug, my name is the Muscle Hamster. I never approved the name Muscle Hamster. Muscle Hamster was placed upon me without my approval, so please stop calling me Muscle Hamster, Doug Martin. He may be decent for another couple of years, but I think Lamar Miller is where the upside lies both for this year and in the future. Um, the alternative nickname that he's trying to get going is Doug or not. Which I kind of like, uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's a fun dilemma here. But uh, I and I, I know it's going to surprise a lot of people because I've been very vocal about my disdain for Doug Martin in the past. Um, and but it's because I love and adore and own several copies of Charles Sims, and not enough copies of Charles. But Martin had a resurgence last year after dropping 1,400 yards last year on the ground. Uh, second 1,400-yard season in his four-year career. Uh, in 49 games, Martin has 868 carries for 3,800 yards. Lamar Miller, in 61 career games, so he's played in more career games, has less carries, 638, and less yards, obviously, as well, 2,930. Now, the big thing with Miller is that he's never – that, that everybody thinks is a is an injustice that the Dolphins didn't use him correctly. That seems very evident when you realize that Martin had 230 more carries in 12 less games than Miller. I, however, believe the less usage is for a reason. Sure, we can all be hypercritical when a team is losing, uh, but we also defend their coach when we believe the firing is also an injustice. The facts are this. It wasn't one coach or one OC who denied Miller his apparent due. It was several. Now, do you don't now you don't get to be the co- now you don't get to be a coach in the NFL without having some brains or at least making some well calculated decisions based upon your personnel. Martin is shorter than Miller, and he's also heavier. Both of those traits favor Martin as a workhorse. Miller had only one season over a thousand yards. Uh, ru- only one season over a thousand yards rushing. Sorry, the, sorry for the break there. There's been like four trades in DFW 48 during this podcast. It's insanity. Um, <laughs> Miller has only one season over one thousand yards rushing, uh, but but his do do carry slightly his his excuse me his average yards per rush do favor him slightly with 4.6 compared to Martin's, Doug Martin's 4.4. Yet the opportunity that both of these guys got as, excuse me, yet the opportunity both of these guys got to be a legit RB1 last year, Martin still had 94 carries, and the aforementioned Sims gained 500 yards on the ground. So not only did Martin get more carries, this obviously this offense is built around it, and Martin did that with a very quality running back behind him. They had trusted him that much more. Miller did have 14 more receptions than Martin, 
but Martin still recorded recorded 33 receptions with the ultra-talented Sims recording 51. Yet the Miami Brass, not their not the staff, opted to let Miller walk. This the same team, the same Miami team that is taking on the huge contracts of Pico Alonso and Byron Maxwell. They're off throwing a bunch of money at the older Mario Williams. So if they opted to give the money to not give money to a player like Miller, that but not if they opted not to give Miller the money that he wanted, that tells me truly they don't believe in his skills or, or they feel that he has certain limitations there. So sorry that got a little bit jumbled towards the end, but uh I just just not sold that Miller is going to be that every down back. Any any rebuttal there, Nick? Well, I liked most of the points that you made there. The one thing I do uh, question is, did, did you actually say that it takes brains to be an NFL head coach? I mean, come on, we're fans of the Redskins and the Raiders. We've seen some pretty dumb head coaches in our time. Uh, but I also said you got to stay in power is based on well-calculated personnel moves. So, yeah, <laughs> I knew I knew I was going out on a limb there, but, you know, somebody's got to get Joe Philbin credit, right? Uh um, so like I said, next week, or excuse me, tomorrow, me and Mike are going to be talking rookie quarterbacks, and we'll talk a little tight ends and offensive linemen, too. I love watching offensive linemen. Next week, the 16th, a huge pleasure as we welcome our buddy Mark T. Wilson back to the program as we talk about the NFC East. So we're going to talk about Nick's Washington Redskins, and then, of course, we'll talk about, the, you know, of course, the lack of moves in Philadelphia during this offseason with our buddy Mark T. Wilson, who is the CEO over at True Love Sports, great friend of ours. Always a pleasure to have Mark on the show. So looking forward to that very much. So uh, thank you for joining us for this very long podcast. Big thanks to Luke Grilly for uh, for helping us out there early on and explaining uh, the crazy DFW 48 to me. I thought that would be some interesting Inside information from somebody that's been there on the front lines there for a couple of years there. So we appreciate you indulging us in our free agency draft as well. And this is kind of our, our free agency tribute shows. A lot of the players we talked about were, uh, were, were free agents at one point in time this week. And uh, obviously they're getting snatched up the quality ones now. So uh, we revert back to our uh, team reviews. Uh, as we talk about NFC East next week with our buddy Mark T. Mark T. Wilson. Again, big thanks to Luke Grilly for helping us out. And as always, Nick, thank you so much for being uh, being my co-host, and we will talk to you next week, buddy. All right, sounds good. It'll be 7.30 a.m. next week since you guys are going into the whole daylight savings spring forward thing out there on the mainland. We'll talk to you then. Okay, take care. Mm-hmm.